Coming up next, it's Natalie Cutler-Welsh with her show, Up Your Brave. Community, connections, holistic health, and more on RCR. Reality Check Radio. Hello, everybody. Happy Friday. If you're listening to us live or if you're listening to us later, I am Natalie Cutler-Welsh, your host here on the Up Your Brave show on Reality Check Radio, where it's all about connections, courage, and community. If you haven't listened to our show before, we are kind of the motivational lifestyle show focusing on everything from holistic health and parenting to leadership to wellness, but the focus is always around empowering people, lifting you up, helping you to be aware and to make empowered choices, take intentional actions in your life and in your community. And today is part two of our two-part series on the topic of keeping kids safe. Now, I choose those words wisely. Because while I do talk a lot about being empowered, I think that uh, we want to empower families, we want to empower our kids and our teenagers, but I also think we have a responsibility to be aware and to learn what the kids are being told and taught and to take action if needed. Um, I took action actually today, took my own advice. I emailed yesterday. I emailed my kids' um, schools, I have two kids, I've got three kids at <laughs> three different schools. And I emailed two of the schools asking for some detail around the curriculum and the content in their sex ed classes. So I will definitely keep you posted on that. Speaking of which, we are going to be getting down to the nitty gritty on one of our interviews. Our second interview today actually is with Elizabeth Munt on the exact topic of that, uh, what a, the truth about what they're teaching your kids in sex ed class. That is a listener discretion advised interview, meaning if you're in the car or you're in the kitchen with kids or teens, you are more than welcome to let them listen, but just it's up to you to make that choice. You might want to put your headphones on. Um, we also have Carrie Sketter coming in, talking us about talking to us about the importance of authentic connection with our kids. And if you missed the episode last week, it was also keeping kids safe. We had Ellie Bambury on friendship dynamics and listening to our teens. We had Lionel Anderson on mentoring our youth and the impact of cell phones on our psyche. And we had Sheena Malley on what they're actually teaching our kids in school. And so there's a lot to talk about when it comes to the topic of keeping kids safe. And in this episode and the last, I didn't even touch on vaping or domestic violence. I mean, there's a lot to talk about. These are the things that we will be covering in future episodes. As always, we are open to your views. We are open to your questions, your suggestions. You can get in touch. 2057 is the text to send in a message or inbox at realitycheck.radio if you prefer to email with your uh, recommendations and your suggestions on topics, guests, or just sharing some of your views. Uh, Because we are all navigating interesting times, definitely at the moment, um, as people still have different views on things and we are aiming to come together, work together, raise the vibration here in New Zealand. Um, And so open to your thoughts on that too. Now, we had a message from one of our listeners, and they say, have you heard of chroming? A 13-year-old died after huffing spray deodorant with her friends in Australia. Oh, my goodness. I just saw another kid was paralyzed for huffing on nitrous oxide, addictive, addictively over two weeks again in Australia. Um, I think there needs to be an education program around this and drugs for teens 
and more so than the BS sex ed. Well, thank you for writing in. And I would love to hear more about that. I have heard of that. I don't know much about it. But I think, you know, these days there are sadly more options for kids to, I would say, numbing tactics, meaning there's a lot of anxiety, there's a lot of stress, um, uh, especially after the last three years. And sometimes people, adults and kids, will use numbing strategies or numbing tactics to take away the pain. And I think one of those might be this technique, or maybe it's just they can 13 year old kids might think it's fun. But of course, they're damaging brain cells, and it can be very dangerous. I agree, we definitely need to make kids aware, um, while not putting ideas in their head, it is a fine balance. So today for my what in the world segment, I wanted to share a little moment with you because I'm going to in a moment play a little clip from a previous interview where I interviewed Emma, she's a speech language therapist. And that was from our March 31st show where we talked about navigating grief and loss. And we're talking about the impact of masks on kids. So I'm going to play that for you in a moment. But first, I wanted to share a what in the world moment and a story from me. During the lockdown, probably the second one in Auckland, honestly, it's a blur and I can't keep track. But I do remember walking uh, down quite a busy street and I was walking, probably had my dog and had one of my kids with me. And I saw this woman coming towards me. Now she had a mask on and she literally did this massive segue, like to go around me. She did a little diversion. So she stepped from the footpath onto the road to go. And she kind of was, I think, trying to make a point that she was going around me because I, heaven forbid, did not have a mask on. And in the process, she literally almost got hit by a car. Um... And I just, in that moment, was like, wow, that's an oxymoron. She's trying to stay healthy and safe and, I guess, not die. So she's wearing a mask outside to each their own, not something I would personally do or advise. Uh, By the way, I am going to be interviewing someone coming up about breathing. We will talk more about masks on that. Anyway, this woman goes, does this massive diversion to avoid me, but also, I think, making a point. She went extra wide around me and literally almost got hit by a car. Okay. That was a few years ago. Wanted to share that. Um, But just recently I was walking down the street and again, it was an oxymoron moment for me. And Hey, if people want to wear masks in general or outside, it's totally up to them. Do I think they have been hoodwinked around the health protection and mitigation of the actual risks around wearing masks? Yes. Uh, but anyway, this woman's walking towards me. She has a mask under her chin. So I imagine she had been wearing it and she's vaping. Okay. Just let that sink in. And I'm just like, there it is. There it is. She is wearing a mask or took it off so that she can vape, which, um, I am concerned about kids and vaping. I think it's way more unhealthy than they realize. Uh, So, hey, if anyone has any knowledge on vaping or thoughts, welcome to hear your views. So I just thought I would share those stories with you. It's kind of that what in the world is going on moment. Okay, so now I would love to take you to this mini interview, which is really just a a flashback from a show we had before. It's not a replay that you can go and find. So I wanted to make sure that that you got a chance to listen to it. This is me talking to a woman named Emma about the impact of masks on kids. Here it is. So as you guys may know, you know, I started out as a parenting author 
And I've always been one to just be obsessed with really protecting and nurturing kids. You know, I'm a self-confessed mama lion. I know we've got a lot of mama lions rising up at the moment. So right now, I'd just love to um, chat a little bit with my friend, Emma. She's a speech language therapist from uh, Marawai, West Auckland. Um, you know, Emma experienced, Emma, I know you experienced um, loss, grief and loss around the landslides um, that happened recently and also jobs and mandate. So um, you really can connect with this week's topic. But where I'd really love to to go with you and just get your thoughts on is how are the kids coping, you know, as a result of what you've seen in the last two years? So welcome to Reality Check Radio. And like, how are the kids? Yeah, thanks, Ned. Um, well, what I'm really finding is there's lots of kids over the past two years that are really needing extra support now. And that I feel is definitely as a result of being at home, not being with their peers, not being at school, not being able to see people's faces, their expressions. And I really feel like that's affecting the way that they're able to communicate now. And I'm getting a lot of um, questions from parents asking me, you know, like, is this normal for this age? And yeah, should I be seeking more support for the communication? Um, yeah, and especially around their pronunciation, which I'm finding because of the mask, they haven't been able to see people's faces. And that's one of the key ways that children learn their speech and also with the reading and writing, the phonological awareness. I'm seeing that kids just haven't had that support at school or however, you know, like that extra, um, yeah, that extra support that they would have had over the two years if they weren't at home. What age? Because, I mean, that is concerning. And I mean, I've got lots to say about masks, definitely, in terms of personal connection um, confidence as well. I'd love you to to comment if you've seen any any changes in confidence. But of course, for me as well, the health implications of breathing in those masks and mouth breathing. Mm-hmm. Um, but just from from your observations, what about the social si- skills side of things? Yeah, so definitely also seeing that in families. Like I'm working with a family that have got three kids, and the eldest is six, and the middle child is three, and the youngest is about eight months now. And the mum has actually commented that the personalities and the children and their social skills is completely different. The eldest at six, that she, uh, well, you know, she was a bit older during the lockdowns, is still her bubbly, outgoing self, really confident. And then the middle child, a three-year-old that was born kind of during the lockdowns, he's completely different and he's very shy. He's less confident to walk into spaces. He's got that attachment to his mum when leaving kindy. So... Yeah, and I'm seeing other kids. That attachment is massive. Um, yeah, I'm attachment to the parents. Are you meaning? Yeah, like when they're dropping them off at school or at kindergarten. Yeah, that um, that real the grief, I think, and the shock and the child not you know, the fear of being away from their parent as well because of the lockdowns. They they were used to that, and so that's affecting. I think the way that they are able to be back in those social spaces. Yeah. Well, I can, I mean, I really can't imagine. And my heart goes out to those parents that had to juggle trying to teach the home, you know, homeschooling or doing, doing the online learning while entertaining young ones. I mean, like kudos to them during that time, but also for the kids, because, you know, normally we take the kids out and about, we would take them to the park and they would see other people smiling at them and they would have that interaction. Um, it is concerning, you know, what, what can parents do if they are concerned? I mean, how can they, yeah, what can they do? 
if they're concerned about their child's uh, social development, or, your social or, skills. Yeah. yeah. Any, uh, well, what they could do is they could either reach out to a specialist or they could, um, depending, are you meaning on an individual level or what, what can you do? Yeah, I guess the two questions really. So reach out to a specialist. So if, by the way, if you're listening to this and you are a speech language therapist, you're welcome to get in touch and we can connect people. If you're listening to this and you've, you're worried about your kids or, I mean, I'd love to hear what people are experiencing, you know, are you seeing the same thing? Are you seeing that pronunciation articulation is not where it should be? Um, so whether you're a teacher or your parent, get in touch inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear. Um, so I guess my question, Emma, is what can people do if they're a parent to kind of help their kids mm. not fast track, but really kind of upskill in terms of those things, uh, pronunciation, articulation, but also confidence and connection. And then I guess the other thing is, yeah, they could reach out to a professional. What can they do at home? Yeah, what they can do at home is I think really quality time and presence with their child, like even 10 minutes a day, just to sit down and have a conversation or have it read a book with your child and let that interaction be um, like turn taking. They can let that be an engaging conversation for the child and to build that builds the trust, the confidence in the child. And yeah, I think the most important thing is for the child to be heard. So I think that would be my biggest piece of advice to yeah, take that time out and really make your child feel seen and heard and yeah, loved. That is so important. I mean, even I, I barely ever wore a mask, but when I did, I did feel like it, I felt shut down. I felt, and it, I felt like constricted and limited, not only in breathing, but also in behaviors. I cannot imagine being a child sitting at a desk with a teacher who has a mask so I can only see their eyes. And I just, I honestly cannot even imagine it. So I really feel for those kids. Um, thanks for sharing that. You know, a lot of us, you know, my kids are older. It was a little, it was different for us. And I really, really feel for those young families. Um, any final comments before we wrap up? Oh, yeah, it's just been a lot for everyone. I think that the most important thing is that, yeah, the, we're just looking after each other and our children and yeah, really validating how they feel during this time because it's been a lot for all of us adults, but let alone the children that just haven't, um, yeah, they haven't chosen this. They haven't chosen to be in this world at this time. So yeah, to look after each other. Thank you so much. Thanks, Emma. Oh, thank you. So there it is. I hope that was valuable for some of you to get some thoughts and some insights from a speech language therapist. We would love to hear from you. If you've got a young child that you feel like their speech development, um, expression, confidence has been affected by um, particularly masks, we would love to hear from you. You can message us in 2057 on the text. Something else I'm quite concerned about is um, increased rate of illness. I was actually chatting with a friend just this morning and she was saying that 30% of the girls on her, the sports team that she helps to coach are away with sickness. And a lot of the parents are saying it's very unlike her to be away. So I don't know, I'm, I'm interested to hear from our audience, are you finding amongst your friends or possibly amongst yourselves that your kids are, or teens are getting sick more often than usual? And of course, we're only just going into winter now, but I'm keen to, to hear if you've noticed any difference in that. Um, another person writes into us and says, at our local primary school between two classes, 60 kids approximately um, there were 27 that were away the other day with sickness. So thank you. That's um, from one of our 
one of our audience members, Kylie, thank you for writing in and letting us know. Personally, I can see that they are starting to promote the flu jab again quite heavily. And, and I am I personally, I am concerned about that. I hope that people are just more empowered about their health. We did have an episode called Empowered Wellness. If you missed that, you can go and look it up, realitycheck.radio slash replays. You can go and find that episode and, and listen back to that. But I would really hope that they start to promote things even more like uh, vitamin D that you can go and buy from a health food shop, but also obviously you can get it for free out in the sun, in the actual sun. Um, also high dose vitamin C, zinc and other things to just help and, and good healthy food to help to keep us um, to keep us healthy. Now, obviously mindset also has a lot to do with that as well. And we don't want kids to be anxious. So that's what we're gonna dive into in our very first interview. You're listening to Up Your Brave on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Up Your Brave show on Reality Check Radio. I'm your host, Natalie Cutler-Welsh. And this week, we are diving in. This is part two. This is week two. We're focusing on keeping kids safe. I am so thrilled to introduce you to my next guest. Her name is Carrie Scudder. And we're going to be talking about the importance of authentic connection. Welcome, Carrie. It's great to be here. So good to have you on the show. For those of you that are listening and you haven't heard of Carrie before, Carrie Scudder of Carrie Ann Coaching is an experienced life coach and mindfulness trainer. She's a professional focused on strengths-based supervision in the mental health sector with five years experience as a crisis counselor for Lifeline Aotearoa. She has a broad life and work experience ranging through hospitality, importing, teaching, facilitating, sales, and medical and mental health sectors. Carrie, I'm so excited to tap into some of your knowledge today. Before we dive in, I would love it if you could share with us um, a little bit of your backstory. I know you got into this area a little bit later on in life. So how did that how did that come to be? Oh, thanks, Natalie. Yeah. Um, I was 53 and newly separated. I had two teenage boys at the time and I was sort of feeling a little bit um, what now? And I decided to explore really my, I'd always loved human beings. I was very interested in the nature of humans. So I decided to go to university and I completed a, a degree in um, psychology and philosophy, uh, which, yeah, I just loved it. And it led to a lot of personal growth and led me to the work also that I'm currently doing and, and have done where I've had lots of fantastic conversations and interactions with people. Um, and it's really led to me, me to believe that the thing that most of us need to thrive, to heal, is safe, authentic connection. Mm. And if we, if we find a way to that, connect to ourselves and then connect to other people, you know, we really can change and heal and and um, it doesn't matter what age we are. It doesn't matter whether we can be a child or, you know, someone of my age. It, it doesn't matter. We just need those things. Okay. In a minute, I would love to dive more into what exactly safe, authentic connection looks like. Mm -hmm. But I first want to commend you because I think a lot of people, you know, I love that you're fascinated by humanity. Same. <laughs> and a lot of people, I think, kind of go, oh, I wish I'd studied this. Or why didn't I do that? 
Mm. And they kind of think, well, the ship has sailed. And I love that you're kind of an inspiration for a lot of my listeners, hopefully, you know, that the ship hasn't sailed. And if you do want to study something or change careers or change direction, I say go for it. And um, it's amazing that you actually did that. You followed your path. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was a big step at the time. People used to say to me, what are you doing? And I said, actually, I just feel like I'm jumping off a cliff, but I'm doing it anyway. And that literally initially was what it felt like. (laughs) Well, you've helped hundreds of people on that journey. So that's amazing. Can you walk us through when you said safe, authentic connection is so critical, whether they're a child, a teen, a parent, what does that look like or like, how does that present? Um, It's something that we need to encourage each other to find. So it's very much based on a mindfulness, um, you know, structure or or philosophy where we all have everything we need. Um, And often we need help with, and again, it doesn't matter what age you are, but this is about teens and it, it happens in childhood as well. We often just need to be encouraged to find, to sit with ourselves and first of all, connect with ourselves which is have time to listen to ourselves, connect with ourselves, because in this, the world we live in, and again, for the teenagers, the young people, they're bombarded with information, right? They've got screens coming at them all the time. What they don't have is space. Mm. And we need to encourage them to find a space for themselves where they can connect to themselves. And from there they can connect out authentically because they know what's important to them. So it kind of has a shape, but everybody's shape is is, uh, unique to them. So so it's really sitting with yourself and understanding that and then allowing your own knowledge that is uniquely yours, your own preferences in life, what feels good uniquely to you, to sort of bubble up. It's like if you don't have time to sit with yourself, how do you, where is it? You can't find it. And I think that's a really big thing. So once you've got that, that's authentic connection to yourself, then you can authentically start connecting to the world. And people like myself and anyone who a parent can do it with, with the knowledge, a little bit of knowledge, not too much, um, they can just think, I'm going to create downtime with my child where they don't have any screens And we're going to practice sitting together. And it might be that we just play a little bit of soft music or it might be that we just go, we're going to sit here and we're just going to think our own thoughts with no distractions. Make it, when they're young, make it fun. It's something you do together as a family, you know, because the world is so fast and it's overwhelming for them, which we're seeing, obviously. We see it. It's a a growing problem. It's an epidemic. It is the busyness. And I think if people have younger kids, if you're out there and you're listening and you've got younger kids and we know how busy it is when there's a Mm. lot of kids going, you know, I had three under the age of five. I get it. Um, But if possible at all, I don't know if they do this at kindergarten, but when I was a camp counselor in Canada growing up, we used to have rest hour and rest hour was after lunch. And we would all have lunch in the dining hall. We would go back to our cabins and we would have rest hour. And some people would nap and some people would write in a journal or read. And it was just such a great practice. And it was just that quiet downtime. And nowadays someone might go, okay, I'm going to have time. They might 
think, oh, I'm going to have time and they'll get on their phone. So again, it's consumption of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, so instead of that, it's like rest hour, which is no phones. And I think if people have young kids, they might go like, let's have quiet time, you know, a rest hour. But it's mm-hmm. something that we don't really do as much. And I think if we can bring that back, um, do you, is, there, is there also a relation between busy parents, busy children, meaning if the parents are rushing around doing a thousand things and never, I guess it's like role modeling, but also never make integrating that space into their life, the child doesn't necessarily see it. So can we as parents role model that and therefore it will trickle down to our kids? Oh, definitely. Absolutely. And I mean, parents just have that window of opportunity. But yes, um, it is partly if the parents are always busy, there's, as you say, there's two sides to it. One is they're always busy, so they don't have time to authentically, or sorry, they don't have as much time, perhaps that would be ideal, to authentically connect to their children. Or when they do have it, if they are sitting all together, they're all on their phones anyway. So that it is role modelling. If they don't do that, it's more likely that the children won't sit on their phones. But also it is... If they, if the children see the parents taking time out from work to just sit and relax and not be busy and talk with each other, the children will see that as a normal thing to do. It's, it's whereas, yeah, distracted parents <clears throat> do create distracted children, unfortunately. Usually, I mean, obviously, these are broad statements because, as we all know. Individuals can be quite different, but broadly speaking, that would be the pattern. Yeah. Mm. Mm. And so there's distraction, and there's also a lot of anxiety. That's probably something that I hear almost on the daily in the work that I do. People say, What do you have for anxiety? I know Mm. you've got a degree, I think it's in psychology and philosophy. Mm. Um, What are are you seeing a rise in anxiety and also um, the age of children suffering from that? Is that? Is that lower and lower all the time? Yeah, there's a huge rise in it. Yep, and uh, obviously spiked with the pandemic. I think, I think it was coming anyway, to be honest. Um, but I think the pandemic accelerated the rise of the anxiety in the children. So um, on the phones, for instance, at Lifeline, we noticed we had more children calling in because we're not Youthline, but we, but all ages do call in. We started having a high percentage of children ringing in and as low as 11. Um, Very high anxiety, very, very high anxiety, not being able to cope, not knowing how to manage themselves. Um, I do think the disconnection fuels the anxiety. I don't think they're separate issues. Um, But I don't think it's the only thing that fuels anxiety. It's just in the mix. Does that make sense? It, it's one of the things. Yeah. When eleven-year-old rings, <laughs> is it them literally ringing off their own back, or is it the mom ringing and handing the phone to them to get some support? Um, sometimes the mom does it. Definitely. Sorry, mother um, or father. It can be fathers. Um, it's more likely to be a mother, to be honest, but it can be a father. Um. Usually when they're 11, it's not usually a friend. If they're a little bit older teens, sometimes the, their friends are supporting them to ring a helpline like that. Um, also, I'd like to make a note, too, that the younger they are, an 11-year-old is most likely to be texting in. Mm-hmm. It takes, they're not very confident to ring and talk. That's one side of it. 
the other side, the other reason that they text. So it's confidence. And the second thing is the fact that uh, they may not have any personal space and they don't want anyone to know. So if they're texting, they can be in the room with their family and their family won't know what they're talking about and who they're talking to. Well, what a great service that it's available. I mean, it's tragic that the 11-year-old's are ringing in and, and everyone else. Um, but it's amazing that they have somewhere to ring. They have a number to either call or to text. Um, what are some actionable strategies? You talked about, you know, they don't know how to cope and they they don't know how to manage themselves. If you were on the phones, like, is there anything you can share with our listeners today to either empower the parents or we do have kids listening to the show. So any strategies you can share with us that people can implement in their daily life to be less anxious, more connected? and ideally happier? Yeah. Um, I think for the parents, I would say really important to spend time with your children, talk talk to them and try and be as calm and reassuring as you possibly can. I mean, stable adults who have the ability to consistently reassure an anxious child is hugely helpful. Um, that child will then, um, they will get the modelling that actually it feels like it's going to be okay if they can feel that from there. It's a stable thing that they can have there that's just there beside them. Um, The other thing that I think is really quite powerful is to say to a child, I know at the moment you feel whatever you feel, so you might they might feel highly anxious and they're, they're never going to feel they can cope or they're not going to be calm or they feel that, you know, everything's wrong or whatever it is. You can say to them, I know that it will come right and I need you to trust me with that and while you can't hold the belief, I'll carry it for you. I will hold the belief and hope for you until you're ready to take it and then we will hand it back to you you know so you're actually giving them a visual like I'm going to hold it for you I'll be here beside you I'm going to be reassuring all the time and when you're ready and I know you will I know you will be you give them that message that's when you can hold that trust and belief and hope yourself I think that's really important so that's sort of for the adult so calm, consistent, reassuring, holding that faith. For the children, I would say keep reaching out no matter what you do. It just if you can't talk to your family, because unfortunately sometimes they can't, you know, their, their own households are too chaotic. They can't talk to anyone that can uh, hold that space for them. Text lifeline, text use line. Um, sometimes if they're really young, their friends um, can't hold that space and they instinctively know that. So that isn't necessarily a good thing sometimes to talk to their friends about it. So talk to the adults that can hold that space for you. Some, if it's not your family, it might be a teacher. It might be a friend's mother. You might have an older cousin or, yeah, as I said, it might be Lifeline or Useline, but just continue to reach out. Yeah. And yeah. I, I love how you um, elaborated there when you said stable adult and then later on you said consistent. So 
let's talk a little bit more about what does a stable, consistent adult look like? What do you mean by that? Um, they're always, they're around. If they say they're going to be around, they're around. Um, I mean, we all have to work. It's not that you have to be there all the time for your child, but be there when you say you're going to be there. Um, try and be there as much as you can. So consistency is, you know, do what you say and, and you know, say what you do. So have that match there because it's, you know, it is easy. I mean, we're all guilty of it. I mean, I've had children. I mean, they're grown up now. But, you know, we're all guilty, guilty of sort of thinking, oh, I'm telling them this, but actually, I, oops, I don't think I do that in my life. So, you know, do what you say, say what you do. Um, so, yeah, being around and being open and being able to be stable, develop enough emotional capacity in yourself so that you are safe for them, so that you're not knocked off. Like if they're having a panic attack, this, this is not uncommon. Their anxiety spirals out, they're having a panic attack. You be stable enough. Equip yourself to be able to sit in that space with them and go, it's going to be okay. So you're, you're always the one that's calm. You're going to be okay. I know it's a big ask. I know it's because it's distressing. It's distressing if your child is highly distressed. So maybe a parent can equip themselves by um, taking mindfulness lessons, learning about mindfulness themselves so they can access that connection and that presence within themselves. When we do that, we naturally give that to other people. It just happens. And for those listening, we had some other techniques on previous shows that we mentioned Lance Bradette on our Navigating Grief and Loss episode. If you haven't listened to that, go back to it. Then on our previous Keeping Kids Safe, um, I was talking to Sheena Malley and she gave some what she calls havening techniques, which are more techniques to help calm yourself down because obviously a calm parent or adult um, is going to be more helpful to the child who or teen who is anxious. So um, the other thing, Carrie, I wanted to highlight, it might not be the parent. Is that right? It might be a grandparent that ends up being that stable, consistent adult in their life. Mm. I don't know that it matters who it is, as long as they're reasonably easy for them to access regularly. Yeah. Just that usually they just sort of need one to get them through, you know? Yeah, like I've I've I know a teen at the moment and growing up, his dad was away a lot, like working. Uh, you know, big, important job, but away a lot. But as a result, his granddad was always there, drove him to school, drove him to practice. He was there. So he still had, and he had a mother. So he still had a couple of stable, consistent adults in his life. Mm. Mm. And honestly, that's that's usually enough. It's not uncommon. If you think about more collectivist cultures, perhaps than what we live in, it is quite common that the grandparents even, or one grandparent even lives, or one family member, lives in the house with them and while parents might be working you know 24 7 somebody's there cooking the meals and it is around someone who loves them and that's safe and consistent so yeah doesn't have to be the parents you know? mm. Mm. and the other thing that was so valuable what you said I'll just reiterate is around the verbiage the languaging you know I will hold the belief and the hope for you so whether the child whatever didn't make the baseball team or the relationship with their first boyfriend just broke up or whatever's going on for them and they're really anxious or they're just anxious about life in general um yeah is i will hold that belief for you i will support you and knowing that they're supported and if not they can call or text the lifeline mm -hmm. 
What other techniques can you share with us possibly around mindfulness? You know, yes, we're all busy. How can we be more mindful? Mm. Um, so being mindful is a sort of a philosophy. It's a way of being. It's, it's not so much a doing thing. There are a few things we can do, though. So one of them is to um, teach ourselves the habit of regularly pausing and checking in with ourselves regularly during the day. So it might look like um, you just stop for a moment and it doesn't matter when or where, and it also doesn't matter whether it's for a minute or 10 minutes or anything in between. You just pause, you look around, you notice where you are. So you notice things about your external environment. So it might be, you know, the sun is shining, I'm hot, I'm cold, um, your internal environment, how am I feeling? Oops, I'll drop my shoulders because my shoulders are up around my ears. I'll take a couple of big deep breaths. Oh, I think I'm hungry. Um, all these things are grounding you into the present moment. And then you so but what you're doing is you're teaching yourself to come back within. You're checking in on yourself. You're connecting to self. You're becoming present. Most of us, statistics actually say, studies show that we spend 47% of our lives on autopilot, which means that we are here, for instance, talking now, you and I, Natalie, but our brain, we're doing this, but actually we are, um, we've done this before, so the part of our brain is planning tonight's meal and what time we're picking up the kids and what the dog's doing. And often we're, you know, we're driving our car, as you all know, we do this, and you get from A to B and you think, oh, goodness me, I'm here already, and you don't even remember driving there. So pausing regularly, you're, you're training yourself to keep coming back to yourself. Notice your breathing. Have a big sigh. Connect. So this is a tool to connect to yourself. You are training yourself. So... It's a bit like a mini meditation, really, but you're not trying to, um, you're just trying to connect with yourself regularly. Because let's face it, a lot of us, especially in busy family times when your children are still at home, it's hard even to carve out the half an hour to do a meditation or 20 minutes can seem impossible. But you, know, you could set out something on your phone or, you know, every time you went to the bathroom or if you're in an office, every time you went to get a cup of coffee, you could think, I'm going to practice my pause. I'm going to stop. I'm going to look around. I'm going to connect with my internal and external environment. I'm going to breathe. I'm going to, yeah, work out where I am, who I am in this mini moment. And then at that point, you've got clarity. You know how you're feeling, where you are. You're truly present and you're ready to calmly go out there and, you know, authentically and clearly connect with the world because you're grounded where you are as opposed to being in a million places at once. You know, it really affects us. We get very, well, we talk about it, don't we? Oh, I'm so scattered. Yeah. It's quite common. I've written down in my notes here, pause and be present and notice and commentate. You know, like you said, oh, look, and I'd be look outside and i say, oh, look at those leaves fluttering mm -hmm. in the breeze and Oh, you know, and I, I notice my breath and things like that. I think I think it is it's so easy to do, but it's so easy to get swept up in the daily to-do list and to not do that. Exactly. Yeah. It really is so simple to 
but it's like all things in life. The simple things are often the best things, but they're often the most overlooked things. Mm. Mm. They are. Mm. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about, I know previously when we chatted, we were talking about distress. And you said most distressed people are the most isolated people. Can we talk a bit about isolation and what you see happening? Yeah, yeah. so isolation is, you know, the worst thing that can happen to human beings. So we're not we're we're physiologically not set up to live in isolation, and it's really really bad for us. Um, and what happens, unfortunately, over time, if people have mental health issues, particularly, but it can also happen with physical health issues, um, that makes it difficult for whatever reason, physically or mentally or emotionally, to connect to the world. Uh, they end up with these stories running in their heads that they're a burden um, to their friends who don't want to hear them moan any longer or whatever it is, um, whatever their personal story is. And so they kind of withdraw from society. Just It can happen quite slowly. And over time, this just makes it so bad for them. It's so unhealthy and it makes them really miserable and they become very, very, it just exacerbates everything. So they become more and more depressed and it's harder and harder to reach out. So loneliness is often a product of illness, mental or physical. It can go the other way. And sometimes people are lonely for reasons that are different from that. Um, you know, maybe they are from a different country and maybe they've got cultural barriers or something. I don't know. So loneliness can create the illness as well as the illness can create the loneliness. But whichever way it goes, it's a bit like the classic chicken and egg, isn't it? But whichever way it goes, it is extremely detrimental to our health and well-being. And, you know, we have... Um, very high suicide rates in New Zealand. Um, and lack of connection is a huge contributor to that. Yeah. So isolation can happen, obviously, at any age. Sometimes we think of the elderly, but it can happen with kids and adults as well. Can mm -hmm. it all, and we, we don't just assume that it's people that are not around many others because it can actually happen to people who look like they're fine and it looks like they have a good crowd of friends yeah yeah how do we identify if someone is feeling lonely isolated and it's and it's it is detrimental it is a warning sign how do we know um you might find that they yeah they look from the outside like they've got all the right things friends etc but you might notice that they're not the ones that instigate any interaction, social interactions maybe, which might um, indicate a bit of a lack of confidence or a bit of a disconnection. Um, you might find that they, yeah, I don't know, that's, it's hard because it would be different for everybody. It's, if we're talking about families and children, it's, um, or even in your friend group, noticing changes in behaviour maybe. Mm -hmm. um, they're not 
they seem okay, but then every now and then if you look at them and you they don't know you're looking at them, you'll notice this incredible sadness on their face or this they look different. Um, you know, read their bodies. What are their bodies, you know, are they slumped over? And, um, yeah, I mean, it is a really individual thing, but it, a, a change is a real indicator of it's start to be curious about that and explore it and have gentle conversations and maybe not too directly. But just, you know, how you do with children, skirt around things and try and suss out what's going on. Yeah, because people can be. Uh, I think you've got to be careful if you see that people, and it's adults as well as children, I think children are just more vulnerable to it. If they are, all their socialising is mostly on their phones, even though we're not, we haven't been in the pandemic now for several years, you know, if they've continued on with that, I think that would be a real warning sign for anybody. Uh, because it's good to have friends and play games with them and do all that socialising online, but it's not the same. You know, if you're not physically present with somebody, you can't activate all your senses. So there's lots that happens when we're physically in the presence of someone that can't happen through a screen. And, again, we're... We're evolved to use all of our senses and our interactions and we do it without knowing we're doing it, but nonetheless we do it. And if we're blocked from doing that because it's, we're not physically with them, we end up with a, a distrust, a lack of ground to stand on, a lack of absolute trust on where we stand with that person. And this is all going on subconsciously, of course, but actually I wonder, because uh, I think about this and explore it, I wonder whether that's adding to this disconnect. Does that make sense? Because it, not- and it, it just highlights how important it is to, for all of us, uh, to get out into the real world. <laughs> and I know you talk a lot about nature, so we can talk about na- nature next. I mean, mm. I've got a friend, you know, her child is very anxious, not comfortable in crowds, homeschooling because of not being comfortable back at school and all of that. Um, but if they have one thing, and he has his sport, um, his specific specific sport, which I won't mention because I, I, you know, keep it confidential. But and and that is the thing. It's like the thing that gets him out the house, interacting with people in the real world, and it, that seems to be working well for them as a strategy. So I guess what I'm going to take from what you've just said is, is if they are anxious and if they're you know don't have a lot of friends and all that, it's like if we can get them out into the real world, even if it's a couple of times a week. I've got another friend, same thing. Her, you know, daughter doesn't really go to school. Um, it was it was a pre-COVID situation that's gone on a long time. But if they can have at least one or two opportunities to get out in the real world um, where it doesn't cause them more anxiety, that is going to help. Let's talk about nature. I know you're a huge advocate of nature for helping with connection. How does it help? Why does it help? Why is it so good? Yeah, well, I think, you know, we are part of the natural world, right? Um we are part of the ecosystem that we live in. And as human beings, we've tended to think, oh, you know, our minds are so brilliant that we've created this amazing, you know, the world's now so small and we can access all of this and blah, blah, blah. But in actual fact, um, we are still animals who are part of an ecosystem and, you know, it's debatable whether we're doing a good job with how we're treating our part of the ecosystem. But nonetheless, um, that this is why it's so good for children because naturally uh, we instinctually know that 
we feel good when we're, you know, barefoot on the ground, uh, we're, we're in contact with nature, we can smell the flowers, we can recognise the beauty that is around us, whether it's autumn leaves or whether it's, you know, summer flowers or whatever. Um, children, and you don't need to tell children this because they're much more instinctual than adults, right? Mm. So you just put them in that environment. It's not a pressure for them, even if they're highly anxious. It's not a pressure for them to be walking through the bush or walking on the beach. And they will love it and they will gain so much from it. And it's a recognition of, well, they don't consciously recognise it, but you're giving them that opportunity to intuitively feel part of the world we live in, the ecosystem that we live in, the nature that we live in. We are part of it, right? And we all, yeah, so they will feel connected to that. So a lot of anxiety is, and again, as I said before, broadly speaking, disconnect comes in with, into it a lot. Um, pressure, all that sort of thing. And I think when they're in the nature, that's kind of all forgotten. Nature doesn't put pressure on us. You know, nature just naturally does its thing, right? Leaves grow, then they fall off. You know, it's very cyclic and it's quite relaxed, you know. It just goes around, it happens. Children just feel that. It's just so good for them. Yeah. You know, so that's why I think it is. It, it operates on quite an unconscious level, but it's an absolute gift to them. You know, get them off the screens. I mean, that's only one of the things, um, you know, family conversations and reassuring adults and consistent, but the nature's just as important probably, getting them and out we there. We can almost follow their lead a bit, what you were saying, like especially with young ones, really young, you know, the primary school kids or, or preschoolers, is they just, they're fascinated by, maybe it's the reflection in the puddle or the ants you know, crawling along the stones. And I feel like if we can take, follow their lead and mm -hmm. share their enthusiasm and fascination, um, reappreciation for nature, we can, we can slow down and learn a lot. Mm -hmm. It's soothing, right? You know, we all, we recognize how good that makes us feel as well. And my kids are a bit older. So now it's more a matter of, for one of them, we still sometimes do the playground but it'll be going up to the playground at the local park and he's playing basketball and I am not coordinated with ball sports. Like I said to him, literally all I'm good at is talking and um, remembering people's names and like remembering people. Like I can't I'm really bad at math. I'm so bad at ball sports. Like I was a runner. I can't do anything with balls. But anyway, he's like, mommy, play with me. I'm like, okay. And he's just laughing because I'm so bad, but I'm, I'm doing it. Like it's kind of fun and we're having a bonding experience. We're out in nature and then, you know, we have the dog off the leash, which is always fun. And then sometimes we'll go and we'll walk in the grass or we'll kick the ball on the, you know, down the hill. And so there's a little bit of that. It's slightly different than when they were younger. Um, but I think for me, yeah, getting me outside into nature is, is, is good for me as well. So maybe for those of you listening, I would love to hear from you. How do you stay present? What tools do you use? Is it journaling? Is it nature time? Um, is it breathing techniques? Let us know. We're curious to hear. You can send a text to 057 or you can send an email inbox at realitycheck.radio. Definitely let us know. Um, and how do you stay present? How do you um, cope when you feel a little bit anxious or your child does as well? Carrie, coming back to our overarching topic, which is keeping kids safe, the experience that you've had, the people that you're working with, what other themes do you have coming up or what else are you personally concerned about along these lines? 
Mm. Um, I would say there's a real lack of resilience around coping with uncertainty, which I know is quite a broad thing to say. Um, so people seem less inclined. I'm starting to sound old, aren't I? People seem less inclined these days to be able to um, handle the fact that they, they're not sure what's ahead of them. Um, and that's a real theme. It's like, well, I get that, definitely, but, but what if it's exciting? Mm. You know, it's almost like they, they seem to assume that because they don't know what's ahead of them, there's a lot of uncertainty. And, I mean, the pandemic, again, I haven't referred to the pandemic for ages. That's interesting that I am a lot today. But, again, um, it caused this huge, because people were just, we didn't know what was going to happen next, right? And everyone, you know, it was just terrible. And I'm just kind of like, well, but it might not be terrible. And there were lots of things that weren't terrible that came out of that. Dolphins came back into what is it the into Venice waters or you know there were lots of things for the climate that were very good. Um, so I guess what I'm trying to say is one of the themes is this lack of resilience around uncertainty and the seemingly natural assumption that what if it's bad? And so my message is well, what if it's good? Mm. Yeah, and I'm not sure why that's happening, but I think as parents, um, if you've still got influence over your children, you know, modelling that, you know, with changes coming up, whatever, with work or <clears throat> if there's a, whatever uncertainties are around you, trying to model to your children, you know, just go, oh, well, that's not working out. We'll have to do it another way. What's next? You know, even if it's something like a, you're going to be made redundant or, you know, something that can be stressful. Might be that you're forced to move and you can't find a place. You know, it's like instead of being, oh, my God, we can't do this, it's a bit like, oh, well, gee, we'll keep looking. We always find the right place. It'll be exciting to live. You know, that is an amazing message for your children. It's an absolute, that just, it's okay if it's uncertain. We absolutely have faith that we know we are in it together and we will work it out together. You're right. There certainly has been a lot of uncertainty in the past three years specifically. So it makes sense that a lot of kids and, and especially teenagers will be thinking, well, I don't know what the opportunities are because we've been so limited. But I like that you're encouraging the parents to have that sense of curiosity and wonder around well what if it is good and and the world's your oyster a little bit um mm. and that whole phrase you know when one door closes another door opens I don't know if that's from the sound of music I can't remember um yeah. but I think that's a great reminder to us adults for ourselves for our own outlook and then of course that trickles down to the kids mm. yeah I love the one door opens things mm. Close, uh, closes and opens that's one of my absolute favorite sayings is it the sound of music I'm not sure either, but I just love it and I use it quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
<laughs> exactly. All right. Hey, I'm going to move on to our um, the, the, the famous four questions that I ask every guest. Um, anything else, any other actionable tips or strategies you want to mention before I go to my next question? Um, I don't think so, to be honest. I think just, yeah, really, if you can learn to connect with yourself and be present and calm, that's, that's the gift you give to everybody, actually. Mm. Yeah. Okay, amazing. So, um, Carrie, what is one thing that you have uh, done, achieved, or navigated through in the past year where you truly upped your brave? Mm. Okay, well, what I did quite recently, it was the beginning of this year, is I left my role at Lifeline, which I loved, in order to create a safe and nurturing space for my mother in my home because she was very old and frail and getting close to the end of her life. And so I decided to follow my instincts. Um, it was quite a big decision at the time. And go. the most important thing for me is to provide the space for her. Um, so I will resign to do that. And... Yeah, it took a lot of courage and I had to learn a lot of acceptance and sitting in um, a grief space, which uh, culturally I haven't had modelled to me. Um, so it was, yeah, it was really worth it and I'm really, really pleased that I did it and I got the result that I wanted and I believe that she did feel safe on her passage out of this life. and. It was really, really rewarding. Yeah, very valuable. Lots of growth, lots of growth. And uh, so, yeah, that was a, uh, that really upped my brave. That was a new experience for me. Mm. Yeah, well, that is amazing. And also, I imagine there's quite a few listeners who can definitely relate to that, to prioritizing taking care of their lovely parent or parents in the older years. And one of the things I talk about a lot is what are you courageously creating and what do you choose to lovingly let go of in order to do that and you lovingly let go of the lifeline job which you genuinely loved mm -hmm. in order to courageously create this space for your mom so that is beautiful mm -hmm. the next question is bucket list what is one thing on your bucket list that you would love to do be or experience in your lifetime that we can possibly help you with mm. well I've had a dream for a few years and um, I'm getting closer to it, of being able to go and live in Bali for six months. Um, I'm choosing that time because I think that's the longest visa I can get. Um, work digitally from over there, <clears throat> um, you know, in the coaching space. Um, and also, so partly it's a sabbatical, but, uh, but also I want to end up running some sort of holistic retreat thing over there too. So while I'm living there, I'll be sussing that out with the idea of being able to do that. Um, I would just love to, and I'd love to do that with, you know, complementary type practitioners. So it's not something I'd do on my own. I'd like to pull in other people who would be interested in doing that and running it for, I don't know, however many days. Yeah, so that's on my bucket list to do. I think that is definitely something we can help with. So if you're listening and you know anything about living in Bali, moving to Bali, running retreats or collaboration, potential collaborations, partnerships for Carrie, then definitely get in touch with her. You can get in touch through us. Also, as always, I'm curious, we're curious to know what is something that you have 
upped your brave with in the past year or something on your bucket list, we're keen to hear. So you can text us in 2057 um, and let us know and we can possibly help you. Carrie, what have you got coming up in the next six months or so? And also how can people connect with you um, if they want to learn more or they want to get in touch? Mm. I might start with the connection thing first. <clears throat> My website is www.kerryann, I'll spell it, K-E-R-R-Y-A-N-N.co.nz. And my Instagram handle is Kerryann Coaching. Same spelling with Kerryann, just coaching. <clears throat> Thank you yeah, for spelling it out because, of course, we are on radio and there's different ways you can spell Kerry and Ann. So it's K-E-R-R-Y-A-N-N. Correct. Yeah. Uh, coming up for me for the next six months, I'm really in a period of uh, reflection and processing, um, consolidation. I've had quite a big start to the year, obviously, on an emotional level, uh, which has been enriching and rewarding. But I feel it's something I'd like to just sit with and give it some grace. Um, but also, been quietly open to, you know, new clients and opportunities. I'm not sort of saying I'm not doing anything, but just very much not driving so much out there, more being open to it and taking a bit of time. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's so great to hear. There'll be a lot of people out there, you know, some people are really in creation mode. Some people are in kind of more hermit mode. Some people are in reflection mode. And I think it's so important for us all. It's such a good reminder to allow ourselves, or as you say, give ourselves the grace or the space to mm -hmm. be where we are, meaning to be where we're at. If we are in creation mode, go for it. And if we're just not, don't force it. Just allow things to process. And I think when we take the pressure off, we let our shoulders drop and we just allow ourselves to be where we are, that's when the magic can happen. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited to see what, what invitations and opportunities come their way for you. Yeah, thank you. Me too. <laughs> Before we wrap things up, is there anything else that you want to share with our audience around the topic of the importance of authentic connection and keeping kids safe? Um, again, it's just coming back to those really simple things, you know, stay stay in touch with them, obviously. Well, you know, sometimes it's not that obvious. It's so easy to be distracted by the alpha world. Um, yeah, if if you're struggling which isn't uncommon to, if your life is busy and you you know your child needs more time, find that other person. Is it a grandma or a grandpa or an auntie or, you know, someone else who can just help hold that child while you're busy? Um, yeah, and the way to authentically connect is really is you do have to practice checking in with yourself whether you're meditating whether you're pausing you know the shape of the pause that we talked about those simple things but if we do those things daily they become habitual and then we find we're interacting with the world much more calmly authentically you know we're aligning with things that are going to work more naturally so it's really worth it yeah so it's nothing new really Natalie it was just that you know going over the same things to remind people. Yeah, it's, it's simple, but it's important. Yeah. Yes. And such a great reminder. I mean, I'm just reflecting on my own life, you know, growing up in Canada, we literally had no relatives. Like me and my sisters, we were born in Canada. 
that's it. We have no Canadian relatives. So we grew up with no cousins, no aunts and uncles, no grandparents, never met my grandfathers. Everyone's Kiwi. We would fly back once every five years and meet everybody. Um, so for me, you know, one stable, consistent adult was my mom. She was always at home with the baking brownies and with the after school snack and all that. My dad was a orthopedic surgeon. That's the reason they went to New Zealand for five years. They stayed for 35, hence me being mm-hmm. born there. And he was always working and, and my mom was always there. But the other adult that I just got reminded of was my running coach. So I was a runner and um, and just having a, a great you know running coach who was consistent all through my high school years. And that was really helpful for me. So shout out to Jill Woolley in okay. Canada, my, my running coach. Mm-hmm. So I'd love the listeners to think about who are the stable, consistent adults that you had on your journey growing up. And maybe it's time for you to maybe reach out to them. And maybe I might message her on Facebook, um, reach out to them, give them a little thank you. And also now reflecting on your own family, your own kids, do they have one or ideally possibly one extra, another one, stable, consistent adult in their life? And if not, how can you possibly um, create that opportunity for them to have someone who can, can be there for them? And as Carrie likes to say, who can carry the faith for them? Carrie, thank you so much for your wisdom today. Well, thank you for having me on. It's been so good talking to you. Yeah, so to you. Thank mm. you so much, Carrie. Okay. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks. So valuable to get the views and insights from Carrie. She's a life coach. She's a mom of two. And she mentioned to me afterwards that in her private practice, the youngest child that came to her for anxiety was six years old. So tragically, it is not only seemingly to be becoming more common, but the age of children experiencing these emotions is a lot younger. So I think if we can do what Carrie says and we can be authentic, have authentic connection with the children, listening to them, helping them to acknowledge the emotions and process them through our body, definitely make sure you go and listen to uh, the interview I did with Ellie Bambury last week as well. One of the things I love that Carrie talks about is the importance of having that stable, consistent adult in their life. And like I said, we would love to hear from you. Who was who was one or two of your stable, consistent adults in your life? And I really like that she talks about that, how we can hold the belief and hold the hope for the child that they don't have to feel like everything is so heavy. You're listening to Up Your Brave on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Welcome back, everybody. Now we're going to go to our second interview. Now, this is the interview where earlier I recommended listener discretion. If you are just joining us, you are listening to Natalie Cutler-Welsh. This is the Up Your Brave show. And the topic this week is keeping kids safe. For this next interview, I'm talking to Elizabeth Munt. We will be diving into topics including grooming of children and what they're actually teaching our kids in sex ed class. Now, also, this I just want to also mention what they're teaching our kids really depends on which third party or external organization the school has outsourced to bring in. So I wanted to highlight that because um, since I've been doing a little bit of uh, research since learning about this topic and the primary school where my kids went to, they, they, have, they haven't been there for many years, but um, they use Nest Consulting. And I've been reassured 
that Nest Consulting is, it's about, it's the puberty talks and they pretty much keep it. It's like the classic, the birds and the bees type classic stuff. Um, And so some of the stuff Elizabeth's talking about is not happening in every school. So what I would recommend is listener discretion, meaning if you've got kids or teens that you don't really want them to hear all the graphic details, you might want to put on your, your headphones for this section or maybe listen to it later. Uh, but I, what I do recommend is definitely getting in touch with your school and finding out either who is the provider, who's coming in, and more importantly, what are they specifically teaching our kids? And so this, what she's going to talk about is some of what could possibly happen, and we're talking about in New Zealand. So even though I've got a Canadian accent, I am in New Zealand. I am actually full-blooded Kiwi. We're not talking about American schools. We are talking about New Zealand, and we are here. We are keen to hear your own experiences and thoughts on this as well. So definitely get in touch. So here it is. Buckle your seatbelts for this interview. Today, it's all about keeping kids safe and empowering kids. And I'm talking now with Elizabeth Mundt. And Elizabeth is in Selwyn in New Zealand. She's a mother of three. She's been a foster mom to nine kids during her lifetime, formerly as a group leader. She's been working with autistic trauma and high needs kids and she's currently a counselor for the Selwyn District Council. Welcome, Elizabeth. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm really, really um, excited and kind of not nervous, but this is a huge topic that we're talking about. We've been diving into keeping kids safe for a, a few interviews now. And the reason I'm so I think it's so critical to have you on my show is we're going to get a little bit nitty nitty gritty today. We're going to talk about some of the stuff that is a little uncomfortable, but it's things that parents need to know about. Um, So before we dive into that, I'd love to know, given your background and all the work you've done, how has that, your background impacted you and your views on keeping kids safe? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, Working with um, my foster children in my early years, when my own, before I had children, I fostered, and then after when my own children were little, I fostered, was, it was a real eye-opener into the kind of environments that some kids are exposed to when they're young and growing up. And fostering them was an opportunity to bring them into a world in which they were in a real safe place and in in a place where they're protected and they're able to really Um, just be nurtured and grow and be kids again and that was one of the things that was really fundamental to me in that time was understanding that kids that are in high pressure environments they don't get to be children they don't have that opportunity to just play and and just be themselves they're in such high stress environments they're often having to actually be the parent and be the responsible one in the home because usually in those environments the parents are the children uh, and the parents are not responsible Um, and it just really opened my heart and my mind to the way some people live and the fact that our community um, doesn't encourage necessarily um, or, or bring about a a real safe place for parents who are struggling to come out into the community and get the help they need um, and and be embraced by the community, you know, in a way that really fosters and encourages parents because we kind of have a do this, do that. But what people really need is to get to the heart of where they're at and why they're there. And working with high needs and trauma kids, it just really emphasizes the the, the lifelong effects of trauma 
on a person. So if you're a child that's grown up in a trauma environment, then you carry that through your life often um, and then you become a, an adult with trauma. And so what we see in, in, in what we're going to talk about today is that a trauma is often at the heart of people's dysfunction or their thought processes or their desire to be somebody different and to not accept who they are and not to be in love with who they are as a person. And I mean, I think that's one of the goals really as a parent and a member of society is to empower kids and everybody to love who they are. Yeah. And I think part of the problem is people are being encouraged right these days to question who they are really early on. Yeah, to question and um, so outside of the, the the trauma homes, the kids that make bad decisions, obviously that come from really good homes. There's different reasons. I mean, obviously teenagers usually have a wee bit of a rebellious streak, etc. But often there's that real sense of finding a place of belonging. Kids just want to belong. People just want to belong. They want to be accepted for who they are. We have um, quite a we, we talk about the tall, tall poppy syndrome here in New Zealand. But even what we have in, in a school space is we talk about strong bullying. Yes, New Zealand is actually um, probably a, a, a forerunner in the grounds of bullying. We have quite a um, quite a judgmental society here, uh, not always accepting of different people, different values, different cultures. And we, we talk about being open to that. But uh, often what is said and what is done are two different things. And so kids often find that it's hard to fit in and and not be compared to other kids. And then that leads them down that whole road of comparing themselves to the influences of the world. You know, girls are often looking at, you know, the whole Kardashian movement. Uh, I call it the Kardashian movement. That's just a subtitle for it. But, you know, my body's not perfect. Well, look at the Kardashians. They were already beautiful. What have they done? They've spent millions of dollars on plastic surgery and designer this and and, and everything else that comes with that whole um, being the world's most beautiful. Um, And that just paints a real picture that even they weren't beautiful enough and even they needed to spend that money and focus on this area of their lives. And, And that's a real shame because perfect, it's not an achievable goal for anyone. And we just want to really bring in this and usher this culture in of you are loved the way you are. And um, and that's a real big thing that I want to promote today. I agree. And I'm also concerned about what I'm going to call deception. I mean, even some of you go onto Instagram and they show you these before and after with makeup, you know, the contouring. Yeah. And, and the way that some of these girls are showing up looking like, well, models or it's over the top makeup and the contouring I think it's actually false representation of who you are I'm hey I'm all for a little bit of makeup and looking like your best self Um, but I think you know deception people are going to realize mark my words in the next you know few months and the next coming months that they've been deceived in many many ways and they're being pressured against what's actually good for them absolutely and that's what we're going to talk about today with what's going on in the schools yeah. So, yeah. So let's, let's, I mean, dive in, let me know what are some of the things you're concerned about that you've seen and you've got, I know you've got some t- statistics to share with us as well today. Yeah. So there's a lot going on in the area of sexualization for kids nowadays, uh, even more so than in my childhood. Um, we've got Disney introducing the LGB, you know, the rainbow community themes into little kids movies, your programs that are on Netflix that are not really safe for kids. 
we've just got a real open policy, open door policy to the sexualization content of what's acceptable for children now. And, you know, back in the day, there were standards, but even those standards were, um, they were pushed. So I remember seeing a movie because I was really careful with what my children could see growing up. And I remember watching a movie when I was in my early 20s um, and there was a, it, was, it was done by a comedian, you know, had some funny parts in the movie, but I just turned it off halfway through, you know, it was back in the day when it was a video um, because he had a huge sexual content in the middle of it, but he was able to put it in as a PG because they took the cameras out of the bedroom and had all the thumping, the groaning and the noises, the clothes getting chucked out. So even though you weren't seeing a, a full-on sexual episode, you were ex- being exposed to that. And, and, and you can't say, well, the young kids, they don't know what they're seeing. I mean, you're, people are absorbing this. And our human nature is that we're designed to, to be creatures that are, you know, sexual at some point in our lives. So we, we have a, a natural knowledge a little bit of a knowledge of what what things are and 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 that might just be a jigsaw piece that leads into something later on but that was a part of what what we were seeing growing up even in our times was that um sexual content could be smeared in a way so that they could pass it through the grading system but now now it's just an open open book um the kind of content that kids are exposed to is is enormous, and yeah, just want to talk a little bit, I guess, about what what that ha- what's happening. But but these are gateways to the programming of the child's mind. Um, it allows them to become receptive to the incoming changes, particularly from what's happening overseas. Um, yeah, so I'd like to talk a wee bit about um, the rainbow groups that are getting brought into the schools to deliver the sex education and the rainbow youth group meetings. Um, I just want to also really strongly reiterate that I'm not transphobic. I have friends who are gay. I have friends who um, have got a wider reach um, in terms of their partners. Um, this is not a them and us topic. Mm. It's not about that. This is about protecting young minds and allowing kids to be kids, right? And then they can they can have the freedom to choose what they want as adults without the pressures on them now. So that right now they just they can't, you know, they can't make those decisions that are going to affect the rest of their lives. That's what our job as parents is to be, right? And our jobs as society as teachers and people that work with kids is to protect those minds and allow them to just get through to the adult life unscathed, untraumatised, basically, and in a safe place to make the decisions later on when they're ready. I absolutely agree. Yeah, so um, going on with what um, is happening in the schools, um, it isn't just a New Zealand issue. This is a real global issue. Um, Yeah, because I think, sorry, just jump in, but I think some people think, oh, that's in America. It doesn't happen in New Zealand. So because here on RCR, it is a Kiwi radio station, we want to know what is happening in our in our New Zealand schools. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I just want to give a bit of a background into um, where this is coming from initially. So, yeah, it's definitely happening in New Zealand schools now. This is not just America. It's been a real strong push from overseas trends, and this is particularly through the UN and connected with the WEF. 
Um, so the UN has put out a policy. Um, there's a whole lot of information that you can get outside of this, and I'll refer to some of those groups. But Family First with Bob McCroskey's done a lot of work. Ian Wishart's done a lot of work. There's different agencies. Um, yeah, so there's yeah quite a lot of places where you can source that a deeper information and really go down and have a look and say, hey, what is in our curriculum and what is in our school policies? What is in these rainbow groups? Bearing in mind that often the cover letter, so to speak, the stuff that you see online is the nice stuff. What's actually in the school books, and I'll talk about that later, that is not coming out on a website. I can tell you that now because anal sex and oral sex is not found on the website, um, but it's found in the schools. And so that's being taught in schools in, in yeah. probably in high school or in lower? Uh, lower, the whole lot. So, yeah, if I, I just flick through my notes here and I'll have a quick look for which page you're up to. But, um, yeah, there's a, there's a massive, the graphic content is really real. Um, not every school will be embracing this wholeheartedly, um, but all it takes is one teacher to put that content into your child's class, which goes into your child's mind. And that's the kind of stuff you can't erase, you know. There's some stuff you just can't unsee. Um, here's some direct quotes from some of the school books, and these are New Zealand books. Um, we are teaching about the establishment of intersex surgeries in the 1960s by John Money. Now, I'm going to go back and talk about John Money in a minute. Uh, in science, a conga can discover variations in puberty, including the role of hormone blockers. Now, these are going into schools, into the primary schools. This is not just high school. Then there's the sexuality road book. This is in the New Zealand schools right now. Um, they've got something called roundabout lusty activity cards. This is some. This is the content in the cards. Like I can't even believe this is stuff that I don't even talk about. Having sex intercourse. Well, maybe I talk about that. Uh, touching slash rubbing others' genitals. Seeing the other person's penis or vulva. Touching the breast or nipple underneath the top. Oral sex, male. Oral sex, female. Mutual touching of genitals. In brackets, mutual masturbation. Talking about having sex, in brackets, when, where, and how. Now, these are for the younger kids. This is not the end of high school. This is not the seniors. This is for your young kids in school right now. I'm just mind blown by that. So when you say cards, what is this, uh, like, it, is this tools that the teachers would be given to or is this or is this different groups that are coming in to educate, like outsourced groups coming in? Um, predominantly, I think it's both, but predominantly the outsource, the difference, my understanding, is that the outsourced groups probably don't come under the same uh, restrictions and scrutiny as the teachers. So the outsourced groups are able to come in and they have a wider range of stuff that they can cover probably more freely. But this is a book that has come from a teacher. Uh, it's in a classroom at the moment. And if you've got a teacher who thinks, yeah, let's just run with this. If, but I think, again, I, I question, I say, well, what kind of teacher would think this is okay? Um, but there is this real mindset in New Zealand, and I, I face this all the time with people, and they say, well, I trust the government, that they've got the professionals who've got the best at heart, for it's best for New Zealand and if they're saying that this is the right age to teach kids this information then I trust that that's okay um 
I'm really sorry, but maybe they just are wrong on this front. And and let's also remember, we go back and say, well, this is a global thing. This isn't the New Zealand education system per se. This has been brought in from overseas. This is what's happening in many countries of the world. And the question is why? Yeah. Why do they want to sexualize our children young? And that's where I'm going to go back to the John Money and the Kinseys. And we're going to have a look at, at what these are the forefathers of this whole movement. And, you know, you could ask yourself the question, where does the boundary lie? What's okay and what's not? What's acceptable for your kids? What's acceptable to teach kids? And what? how are we going to protect them so they can just be kids? Because you're only a child for a maximum of 18 years of your life. If you live to 88, you've got another 70 years to be an adult to go through all that. So, you know, just we just want them to enjoy being kids without all this pressure. So um, I'll just bring in the United Nations guidelines because this is where this is coming from. It's a part of their Agenda 2030, which is a part of the Sustainable Development Goals. Um, yeah, as much as, uh, you know, certain politicians like to say they don't know anything about the UN Sustainable Development Goals, I work in council. We work with these every day. So it's not a fallacy. This is real world, people. Uh, children between zero and four years must learn, zero and four years old, must learn about masturbation and develop an interest in their own and others' bodies. Next one, children between four and six years of age must learn about masturbation and be encouraged to express their sexual needs and wishes. Children between six and nine years must learn about sexual intercourse, online pornography, and having a secret love and self-stimulation. Six and nine. We are well off puberty with this. This is outrageous. Like if your blood's not boiling now, I don't know what would ever make it. Uh, children between nine and 12 years should have their first sexual experience and learn to use online pornography. Between nine and 12, first sexual experience. You know, I mean, and then obviously before that, we're talking about having a secret love. We're just leading them into a world of pedophilic grooming to be honest, and, you know, I've got friends who've um, who've been working in the fields of working with people who've been groomed and sexually abused as children, and they understand the minds of pedophiles and they know what that looks like, and they said this outlines exactly what a pedophile groomer will do to a child to groom them into a place where they will be quiet and submissive and allow the pedophile to do what they want. And, you know, we, we, we hear the talk about minor attracted persons. Minor attracted persons, you know, you can jump on a TEDx talk and, and hear about the whole, it's just their sexual orientation, it's not their fault. If they are attracted to children, we should decriminalise that and allow them to have relationships with children. You know, what's wrong with that? It's not their fault. This is how they feel. Well, let's be honest here. There are times when I've wanted to maybe, you know, hurt violently uh, when I've been very angry with my husband, say, when he did something very wrong and I've been very, very angry. I thought, I'd like to hurt that man. Maybe not husband. Maybe it was my brother when I was young, for example. You know, we get angry. I feel angry. Does that mean it's okay for me to be angry and murder someone? That takes us back to a real early, archaic kind of tribal behaviour. 
we've moved on from that as a society. We don't want to go back to that caveman mentality where an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth because the world's just going to go crazy if we get to that state. I'm just going to, I'm just going to jump in because there's like a lot of what you're saying. I'm very familiar with, I'm, I've heard about it. I'm very concerned about it, which is why I've got you on for some of our listeners. This will be quite new, meaning they'll be like, I don't even know what grooming is or what did she just say about the Ted talk thing? So just for our listeners, like the Ted talk thing, you were talking about minor attracted persons, which is basically it's called MAPS. It's like an acronym for, and they're trying to, my understanding, normalize or make it okay for older people like adults to be attracted to a young child or baby, like Mm. crazy. And, but they're trying to normalize it and be like, this is like a natural, this is a sexual identity and it's not your fault. And it's just the way you were born. So they're trying to normalize and groom society to think that, oh, actually that is okay. And we should be inclusive and we shouldn't bully. So they're bringing in the anti-bullying, fusing it together with this UN agenda, United Nations agenda for normalizing pedophilia, essentially. Yeah. And hypersexualization of children. That's what we're talking about. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And what is grooming? Good question. I, I, I haven't been groomed. Um, I'm not a groomer. I don't fully understand, but I think we can all fathom that when you're grooming a child, it's a, a slow process because, you know, obviously if, if, if a pedophile just took a child into a room and, and did things to them, the kid's going to go out screaming, crying, and everyone's going to know about it. So they they lull the child into this false sense of security, of trusting them, relationship building, uh, gifting them, honoring them, et cetera, et cetera. So the child becomes, and then it's gradual. And this is my understanding of it because I'm, I'm no expert in, in that field, but from what I've read and, and heard, this is how it sort of progresses, is that the kid develops this and then it's a little bit at a time. And I know that there was a girl who was going through the transition process um, and she'd linked into the rainbow community and they had a lot of online tech talks, right? Um, and she said, one of the things that was really horrendous for her was these people befriended her in the beginning and they were really kind, but then some of them reached out to her, you know, outside of the show one-on-one and they said, oh, can you send us a picture of what you look like? And then eventually it was, can you send me a body part? Like, can I see your nipples or, you know, whatever. And eventually it got really pornographic and very deep and it was getting very, very explicit X-rated stuff. And she said, I don't, I don't want to do this. And they said, well, I'm sorry, but you've given us so much visual content that if you don't keep supplying us with the photos and videos that we're asking from you, then we're going to take this to your school and we're going to show everybody what you've been doing. So that young girl, she was young, uh, was in living in fear, absolute fear from these people. And that's that predatory behavior. Mm-hmm. And and that's what the grooming is. It's, it's a gradual conquest of the person's mind and, and getting that submission. And, you know, talking about maps, really scary for me was um, – Seeing recently someone did an interview with um, some of the Greens party that had been at a protest and Marima Davidson was at the front and behind her was a person holding the Matt's flag. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure that Marima being a high-profile politician wouldn't have a group of people with her carrying the Matt's flag if she didn't know and understand what that is. So I'd like to ask Marima if she'd ever like to come on the show what what's her knowledge about what maps is maybe she can give us more of an insight into what that they feel and maybe as a party or maybe as herself personally 
what is this maps all about here in New Zealand, minor attracted persons? What is the age limit? You know, if we look back at what happened during Helen Clark's reign, Helen Clark, you know, back in the Georgina Byer days, um, they had a, a, a bill on the table that they wanted to pass, which was to lower the age of consent in New Zealand to 12 years of age. Mm-hmm. Again, that's prepubescent. Um, that's just not okay in anyone's books. And luckily our politicians were sound of mind back then and that was thrown out. But 12, 12. I mean, I looked at my daughter when she was 12. She just looked like a little child. Little child. I mean, it's absolutely horrific to think that people would think that's okay. I actually thought that had come around again. I mean, well, here's the thing. When we are in a quote unquote state of emergency, the government actually has powers. People don't realize to pass bills without going through the proper processes and things like this, like, hey, let's lower the age of consent from what is it? Is it 16 or 17? 16 here in New Zealand. 16, right? And why would they want to do that? Well, so they can engage in sexual relations with a younger child because that and then not get arrested basically and not get arrested yeah and have no criminal record exactly so the only people benefiting from this is not the 12 year olds this is the 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 pedophiles basically it's just to protect them it's not protecting the children in any shape or form okay so elizabeth this i mean this is this is pretty nitty-gritty but that's fine i want to go there um a lot of people will be very surprised by this some people will be thinking surely not surely these ladies have it wrong like not in new zealand maybe in america Um, and by the way everyone if you don't know me i am from canada originally and things are pretty tragic and pretty dire over there in a number of ways um, as well so what we're doing today is trying to alert people to what is actually going on and i love talking about empowering people and empowering kids but the reason i call this session this interview keeping kids safe is it is our parental responsibility to be aware of what's going on and to ask questions like to the teachers, what are you teaching in sex ed? Like, don't just look at the website because the website, as Elizabeth said, is the glossy cover letter. You need to actually find out and ask questions, maybe go to the board meetings, whatever you can do. Let's talk a little bit. You talked about the hypersexualization of children. We talked about the lowering of the age or the maps. And then you mentioned a little bit about transgender because a lot of this is overlapping. There's a big push I see at the moment, not just internationally, but in New Zealand for inclusivity and people to express who they truly are. And I'm all about both of those things. I'm all about it. But what I'm not all about is young, vulnerable people, especially those people that have possibly been traumatized and are seeking a sense of belonging and community to be highly pressured to make a life-changing decision about their sexual orientation and possibly to go and take medication to make that a reality before they're ready. Can you comment on that? Yeah, absolutely. So as you know, in in the past, I worked with autistic children for a number of years. Um, Autistic children are actually um, showing up to be incredibly vulnerable, anyone on the spectrum, incredibly vulnerable to this movement. Some of it might be because they fall under the category of that needing to find a, a space for themselves also with the autistic mind they they think differently they don't have the same sort of re- regulations in, in their thinking um, and so they can fall prey and victim to um to things that other kids might think that's not that's not okay they don't necessarily see things so clearly and so black and white um, and so those kids that can be really really vulnerable to this and, and we're seeing a lot of that in the results um in the stats is, is that you know, those kids are, are falling to this. But but also children who are uh, body dysphoria is a big thing. You know, you're hating who you are as a person. You're hating what you look like. You want to change what you are. 
that finding that acceptance in society. Um, the rainbow community has been very big on obviously accepting everybody. Um, the irony there, though, is that those who have detransitioned are receiving at the receiving end of a lot of hate. So they're only loving and accepting you while you're one of them. If you're not one of them, then I'm afraid it's not a lot of love. Um, and, and that's a big thing, though, is that kids at that vulnerable stage in the teen years, particularly um, incredibly vulnerable in, in school and peer pressure. And then there's also the kids who are the whatever's the latest fad, trad kind of thing. Those kids often jump on to it's currently a thing, it's currently a trend, everybody's doing it they just go with roll along with the same balls and so you know it's it really covers quite a lot of kids and and it takes a very very strong head to say that's not me and I don't want to be a part of that and and that's one of the things I want to touch on for the parents is you know you wouldn't say you wouldn't take your kids this is a metaphor by the way you wouldn't have your kids watch a couple of episodes of um man versus wild right and say, right, now I'm going to dump you in the desert and you're going to live there for three years and, and you've watched Man vs. Wild, off you go. I know that you're a strong kid. You, you love that show. You'll be fine. It's a little bit like that in the schools because if we look at the curriculum and what's coming through from the UN, it's from the age of four up to 18. That's 14 years of indoctrination of how many hours a day, five days a week at school. The parents aren't going to have a, sh a, a chance in hell of undoing the indoctrination if it's so embedded into the school curriculum, which it is. As I said before, it's in science, it's in maths, it's everywhere. It's not just a little health class. It's they're, they're really infusing it into every part of the school. And by uh, indoctrination, just again, another term that some people may have heard but may not be aware of. Everything from thinking, you know, being told, you know, doctors know best and do what you're told. And like, like listen to authority and is like, what else? Can you give some examples so people know what we're talking about? Well, <laughs> in indoctrination, I guess people trust their teachers, right? We trust that the teacher slash the government who, who gives the authority for the teachers to teach what they do, that this has all been done in a professional manner. It's all been done. If we, if you actually go back and have a look at some of the people that are writing up the curriculum for this stuff, um, they're not, they're not teacher trained. Um, there's a particular person, Chanel, I think his name is, uh, this guy, um, he's an influencer and he's being brought through the youth, um, parliament and, and he, he's a guy who's, he's got a very colorful sexual background, which he posts all over the, all over his social media. Uh, this guy has helped write the agenda for the rainbow groups and for the school curriculum that's all, all been brought through today. Uh, he's not someone who's got any experience working with trauma children or autistic children. He's not someone who's been a teacher. He doesn't understand what that is. You know, I think we have to be really careful about just accepting what is happening and, and ask some questions, you know, and, and do some digging, do some research, have a look, uh, make some calls yourself, what, what you think, what you think is acceptable and what's not. And, and, and dig a little deeper for yourself because it's not just what's happening today. It's what's going to be the flow-on effect for your child. And as I said, if you start them at four, what's the flow-on effect of a child who's been sexualized their whole life? And as I pointed out before, you know, they're talking about having a sexual partner at nine years of age. I mean, wow, what's the flow-on effect of that for kids? You know, having secret loves. 
and, and I've been soft on what I've given you today. Some of this content that's coming through, and then one of the first countries is, is the Netherlands, which is um, implementing this into the classrooms at the moment, is actually masturbation in class. I kid you not. The children are actually encouraged to choose another partner in the classroom to uh, fiddle with each other's private parts and then learn how to masturbate during class time. Now, this is, I think, at eight years of age. That's massively alarming. And, and what's even more alarming is we think, well, that's overseas in the Netherlands. But I had a conversation with a grandfather the other day and his best friend, who's also a grandfather, the eight-year-old child came home and told her grandfather that they were learning to masturbate in class. Now, I'm not sure if they were just learning about that visually or they were actually enacting that in class. This is in a country school in New Zealand, an eight-year-old. And you you start to think about the impact of that on their relationships going forward the quality of the and their self um you know they're they're valuing themselves it's it is tragic it is so tragic I wanted to also talk about um the reality of you know in in this is what I've heard in New Zealand 12 year olds can get puberty blockers or possibly an abortion without their parents knowing is this true this is absolutely true yeah so Really frightening, but a number of years ago, um, there was a mother that came out and it made the news. This poor woman was actually going to court because she was so horrified, and unfortunately the judge didn't didn't give her the credence that she deserved. But she was so horrified. Her child at 15 or 16 years of age was taken by the school counsellor, and this is all legal uh, because these law changes have slipped in, um, you know, in the quiet of night that we don't know about. Her, child, her daughter was taken to have an abortion during school time by the school counsellor. The parents never knew until the child was beside herself witnessing. That may have been suicidal. I'm not sure. Um, but, but they didn't find out until her child was in a really bad mental health way. Um, and the parents weren't able to offer support for the child at any point because they weren't notified. The school is legally not obliged to notify the parents. And the same thing goes also now for the whole puberty blockers and the transitioning. So at the moment, your child can be affirmed in the school. They can go to the school counsellor and they are affirming them. And that is a part of what is expected from them. This is now their job. So if I turned up when I was 12 and I said to my school counsellor, I mean, I was a tomboy at 12. Let's be honest, I was a real tomboy. And if I turned up and said, hey, I feel like a tomboy, they'd say, you know, what do you want your pronouns to be? And I'd be like, oh, him, he, fine. So you can change your name at school. I say, well, I want to be known as Samuel, Samuel Jackson. You can change everything. You can change your pronouns, your name, but then it progresses from there. Then it progresses to, hey, maybe you'd like to consider transitioning. Maybe you'd like to consider puberty blockers. So all of that stuff now can be done through the school counsellor during school time. Again, no parental notification. They can take your child, your child down the road to transition them without your knowledge. And I'm not sure if it goes as far as taking your child to a clinic for the full-on surgery, um, but that potentially is where it's at. So could you imagine your child one day as a girl wearing dresses because they're hiding, hiding what they're doing at school from you because this is how it works? At school, you have a secret life, and I kid you not, that is in the in the actual school inclusivity agenda. Um, so they're a secret life at school. They're one thing at home. They're another. They come home one day, and they've had a full double mastectomy. 
they can also have yep, private part reconstruction. So they can have penises made with pumps and um, and and vaginal reconstruction if they're a boy. So there's a whole lot of really graphic things that are happening. I presume they get a hysterectomy with that. I mean, we're talking about the long-term effects of your child here. These are these are things you can't reverse. Once you've chopped your bits off, you've affected your fertility for life. So even going into the puberty blockers. So I've got a bit of information about the puberty blockers, if I can find it here. But puberty blockers in themselves are absolutely frightening. Um, puberty blockers, you know, they're harmful effects. They're not being talked about. We've got, you know, just just for, for a start, they stunt the height. Uh, they can cause osteoporosis. They erode your fertility. They will tell you they're reversible. They are not reversible. Um, Cross-sex hormones are completely irreversible. Side effects, severe joint pain. There's even known to be children that have ended up at, at young young ages over in the States where they've been on um, the hormones and they've actually developed osteoarthritis uh, and they've ended up in wheelchairs. Fit, healthy kids in wheelchairs at a young age. Uh, so compromised immune systems. I don't know what that potentially looks like, but I've had a compromised immune system in the past and, um, yeah, it was pretty debilitating and a lot of days in bed for me and very, very ill. Uh, arthritis, as I mentioned before, it affects the pituitary gland, does not allow the estrogen to restart once you come off the puberty blockers. So once you've really stunted your um, your development, you can't just come off them and it, and it starts. You can actually basically completely arrest your ability to go through puberty. So you may remain the 12-year-old boy for the rest of your life uh, or, or the little kid for the rest of your life because you're not going to develop all those things potentially, and that, that is frightening. And then, if of course, on the other side, you can go into the synthetic uh, hormones. Um, once you're on the synthetic hormones, they themselves are... Um, not considered to be particularly safe long-term. Um, I know I, I read a book about a man who transitioned uh, in his 40s, I believe it was. Now, this man actually had a premature life, so he the stress of all the hormones on his body meant that he died. Now, we talk about these things as being modern, but actually this guy was taking the um, cross-hormone therapy in the 70s. Uh, it was a sort of a bit of an underground movement amongst uh, the transvestites back then, um, and he, he'd had the surgery uh, and he called himself a eunuch, a eunuch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they can't have they can't have the sexual pleasure that full bodied people can have. Um, a, a blow up penis with a pump is not going to give you the enjoyment that you would have otherwise, um, which is absolutely heartbreaking. And, and yeah, these are just. It's it's really concerning. I mean, they talk about things like shriveled up penises, and and I, I wonder about. I haven't been able to find it. It's very difficult to find some of the information here, but I'm wondering about what happens to the internal sexual organs of a female if they're on this, and does that shrivel up, uh, you know, your fallopian tubes and and all your sexual organs so that you'll never be able to have children, and that is the long term effect mm. here. Yeah, the sterilization the lack of ability to have a pleasing sexual intimate relationship in the future are some of the effects. And, and this whole thing is, is absolutely frightening. I think a lot of people will be listening and be quite blown away, freaked out a little bit by that, because when it comes 
under the guise of inclusion and it comes under the guise of um, being who you are. And, but it's, I think people are being sold a, a silver, a magic pill, a silver bullet in a way. I know you're sad and depressed, but guess what? You were actually meant to be a woman. So trans transition and life will be great. And, and it's not so much. And what you're detailing is a lot of body medical side effects, not to mention the financial pressure of, of all that. So it's, we're basically looking at lifetime customers for prescription medication with yeah. not countless side effects. Um, but also obviously people that have transitioned, they are not able to have children and that loops us back to, so do, do you, is this what you're saying is that there's this connection between that intention or that goal, the agenda, um, and then back to the agenda 2030, which is all around sustainability, which is related to decreasing the population? Well, that's a, that's a big pill to swallow. I, I don't want to answer that because I don't know for sure. That's not what I've been looking at. But goodness, I'd hate to think that they're focusing on that by this means. That's absolutely horrendous, but perhaps we can't close the door on that. Um, touching back on some of the things that you've said, you talked about the finances. They actually make, through this Lupin, which is which is the company, uh, the drug for putting these sex change you know, the children that want this exchange are onto this loop. And it's a, it's a $1.3 million US industry per child. You know, it's big, big pharmac business, mm-hmm. big money, big money to be made. So every child, 1.3 million that, that pharmac company make, you know, we, we want to be looking seriously at um, who's really profiting here. Is the child profiting? Is the family profiting or is somebody else profiting? And then of course the surgeries, what does it cost to have surgery like that? That's extremely expensive. We know that um, one family uh, ha- has come out and, and told me that their child was going to get fast-tracked through ACC for the surgery. She was 15 or 16 years of age. And that's in New Zealand here, fast-tracked for um, a double mastectomy and, and a f- full reconstructive surgery to become a boy at such a young age. And I was talking to my son. He's at university. So university is is not dropping the ball on this this is really it's a big push in unis as well mm-hmm. um and he was saying you know a lot of my friends want to transition mom and I said god they're, they're going to never be able to have children love if they if they go through this process and he said mom they're 18 they don't want kids isn't that right did you want kids at 18 I didn't want kids at 18 you know something that 20 20 20 something you know happily married and in, in, in my 20s I was like I actually I really want kids now I didn't want them before but you hit a clucky moment and I'm so grateful that I was able to have three children, um, three healthy babies. And I would hate to think that anybody loses that choice. You know, it should be a choice later in life when you're ready to make a decision whether you have kids or not, not a choice that's taken away from you because you made an uninformed decision. And I'll be very clear on this. Um, I've been, you know, doing a lot of research on the transitioners and the detransitioners of late. And a lot of them are saying that when they're taken through the process as kids, they're not talked about the fertility. They're not talked about the fact that they can't, you know, backtrack this or that they can't have children. Those things are never raised. So they're not even making really informed decisions here. They're making kind of a, this will make you happy. And on that note, this will make you happy. You know, we're really fed this whole live. Do you want an alive Tim or a, or a, a, a dead Susan? Um, because the kids are feeling suicidal. Well, mm. statistically, statistically, most kids that are feeling a little bit upset and are feeling a bit suicidal, whatever, they actually don't go through with that. It's, it's not common. But what is common is the 
a massive increase of suicide um, and, and talk of suicide post the operation. So if they're feeling a little bit suicidal beforehand, then you're actually dealing with some form of trauma or, or wellness issue that needs to be dealt with, which is actually potentially quite separate from the transitioning. And what you're having after the transitioning has process has happened is a really huge amount of um, mental health issues. And that's what the experts are coming in and saying is there's a massive increased risk of actually suicide of going through the process. So get the help your child needs. Mm-hmm. But bear in mind that your child, if you leave them out and amongst the wolves, they'll probably get bitten in some shape or form. They might not go the whole hog, but it's going to have an effect on their mental health and their wellness and their, their view on uh, on sex. Because sex is not there as like some kind of tool for, for adults to take at, at their whim. You know, it's supposed to be this beautiful thing between two people who love each other. And, um, and, and we want to keep it that way so that if people want to do other things in their own bedroom and their secret later in life you know uh that's their choice but for children let's just keep it that you know your mom and dad love you we love you as you are you know you're going to find someone one day who loves you for who you are and they're going to respect you for who you are and you don't need to change to be somebody else to receive that love and that recognition um yeah so you know it's, it's a really it's a really empowering thing to know that you belong in a lo- and are loved in your community, in your school, in your home. And I think that's a value we need to really put at the front here of, of what we're doing as parents and community. Oh, I totally agree. I mean, okay, we've covered a lot of really heavy stuff today. So thank you for those listening that are still listening. Um, if we are very keen to hear from you, if you've got um, questions or you know personal experience or other concerns around the topic of keeping kids safe, um, it's 2057 is the text number. If you want to text into us, um, let us know if anything resonated for you. If you were, um, are, have you heard about these things, but you didn't believe that they were happening in, in New Zealand, they are. You can also email inbox at realitycheck.radio. Uh, we're going to go to the four questions that I ask every guest, and then I'll give Elizabeth to add anything else she, she wants to squeeze in before we wrap up. Um, so Elizabeth, um, just share with us one um, experience or something that you've done in the past year where you truly upped your brave? Oh, thank you, Natalie. Um, I I got to speak um, to the um, to the submissions panel um, select committee for Three Waters, which is something that I was really passionate about um, early on and hoping that we wouldn't see the Three Waters um, go through as it has. Um, and what to, what came of that is that there was an organised group in my community that had a couple of hundred people from the community come to a public meeting and their main speaker for Three Waters called out and they knew I'd done the submission that heard me say So they contacted me and said, look, would you like to do um, a talk on Three Waters? I was like, oh, my goodness, this is huge. Um, but by the grace of God, it went really well and I was able to impart that knowledge. I was also able to, I must give... Um, some credit to the taxpayers union because I contacted them and worked with their research assistant and really fine tuned what was happening behind the scenes in the council's boat as well. And and that was a really empowering thing to, to be able to, you know, give a really take the lid off it and really expose what's really been going on behind the scenes in, in that three waters area. Well, that's, I mean, that's awesome. Good on you for upping your brave and doing that. 
And also because obviously three waters impacts the future for our children. So we're trying to keep them safe and keep the resources safe. Um, let's talk about the bucket list, which is what is one thing on your bucket list that the Up Your Brave Reality Check Radio community can possibly help you to, to do, be, or experience in your lifetime. Thanks. Um, one thing that I'm really passionate right now is obviously protecting our kids. And if every parent who listens to the show can share this and discuss it with others, we absolutely need to see the sex ed curriculum in New Zealand schools reversed. And I mean, even as far back as the kindergartens, um, we we need to be fully transparent. It, it needs to be fully transparent to every parent in New Zealand. Our children do not belong to the state. And it is our right as parents to dictate to the schools what's appropriate, not the other way around. Uh, no child of any age should be taught about masturbation, anal or oral sex. This is blatant grooming and it's disgusting and it's criminal. And so that's something that I would just love to see New Zealanders get in behind and support this. Definitely. And well, how maybe this leads on, how can they do that? How can they support if they're really highly concerned about what they've heard today? Obviously, they can go to their own kids school. Um, maybe they don't even have kids and they're all they're still very concerned. How can they how can they um, how can they make a difference? Do you have any contacts either with you or with a different organization? Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. Um, so I have got a list here of solutions. Um, these are because I, I think that we need to be solutions focused. Yes. And exactly. We, we, we hear all the problems but what can we do about it? That's a real big thing for me. Um, so, so firstly, um, I want to say a safe place, um, have an agreed safe place that your kid can go to if they feel overwhelmed at school or unsafe for any reason. Um, it might be that they go to their peers. It might be they go to the local library or a cafe, uh, while they wait for you. And with that, there could be just a code word that they text you a code word, which just tells you, I've left class, I'm going to be at the library, mum, pick me up when you're ready. Um, I feel really vulnerable right now. And and because we don't we don't really know what the kids are going through and it could be a bullying issue, it could be they feeling, because um, everybody's got these gender neutral toilets now. And one thing that concerns me is that you'll get some dominant 17 or 18 year old boy confronting a 13-year-old girl in this toilet, you know? And if your kid's exposed to that or feeling endangered in that environment, they need they need to be able to get out of there. They're doing that at my child's school. Yeah, it's everywhere now. Well, it's, it's my it's my boy's school, but if my daughter went to that school, I'd be banging on the door, but maybe I should be banging on the door. Even though yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, two, kids desire a sense of belonging. We need to make an effort to find them uh, group spaces which they can feel empowered to be them in. It might be that they join a, a local youth group, girl guides, the scouts, boys or girls rally, cadets, which is kind of the quasi-military training for kids, or hobby groups. It's lots of fun, but it's bringing about that sense of belonging to something and finding like-minded people that they can share their life journey with. Um, three, as a parent, you have the right to make a complaint about teacher misconduct. Firstly, to the school, the principal and the board of trustees, and you can follow the school's complaints policy because every school should have one. Unresolved complaints can then go to the educationcouncil.org.nz slash content slash reporting concern. Remember, you as the parent have the right for this. 
And, you know, I'll give you an example of what happened recently. Um, this is third-hand information, not 100% sure about the details, but what I'd heard was a rainbow teacher in a local school sent nude pictures to all of her students. Now, that is exactly the kind of example in which you would want to make a teacher misconduct complaint. Number four, homeschool during Pride Week, which is during June the 12th to the 16th. If you're concerned about any of the stuff that content that we've talked about today, then this is this is an opportunity to pull your child out because I kid you not, there's been some really heavy propaganda pushed during the Pride Week. Um, I heard about an example in a school uh, not so far from me, a high school in which the Pride Week they used the assembly to for boys to come out as drag queens on the show and it was their coming out ceremony. Uh, I don't know how old those boys are, but that's pretty horrendous. Uh, five, create a culture of love and acceptance. Um, a group of friends and I are currently designing a T-shirt. It's going to be a not-for-profit. There will be no profit made on this T-shirt. It's going to be hashtag I love you just the way you are. We want people to buy the T-shirt just to wear it to encourage others around them, you know, to see that message, promote that message. We love you the way you are, you know, exactly how you are, how you've come out, how you've been made in this world, who you are, what you are. I think that's really such an important message for, for our kids of today. If they're going to search that hashtag, so is it hashtag I heart you just the way you are? Like a, yeah. an emoji of a heart, not love. Okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we haven't designed it yet. We're in that process. Um, in terms of hopefully, Natalie, we'll, we'll, we'll let you know when it's designed and you'll be able to, you know, promote that and tell people where yeah. to find it. Um, there might be a link somewhere. We haven't, we haven't got to that point yet of having a place to go and source that. But, yep, keep, keep watching this space. Uh, number six. Be empowered to write to your school. Um, I write to my school at the beginning of every year for all of my children. I tag in all of their teachers. I ask them, I send it to one person and I say, can you tag in all of their teachers, the principal and the school board? I ask to have my child removed from all the sex ed, sex ed curriculum, the gender ideology, and when any rainbow community groups are present. Because for me, that information is stuff I want to teach my kid about my way at home. I don't want the class, I don't want the school to have the right to teach whatever they feel is okay because right now I don't feel that it's okay. Seven, write to the board of trustees secretary and ask for a speaking slot at the next board meeting and that you wish to speak about the health curriculum. Do some research and take along support. You don't have to know everything. Even if you just take notes off this interview today, that would be enough to just say, I'm not happy, I'm concerned, there are issues here. I'd like the school to address this because I don't think this is the direction that the school should be taking. That's enough. You don't have to be an expert. You don't have to have spent hours and hours researching this. As a parent, you have a right to voice a concern to the Board of Trustees. Eight. Every two years, the schools are required to invite parents to a meeting to help decide what's appropriate for the sex ed curriculum in that school. Ask your principal and get to that meeting. You know, take the grandparents along, take the, you know, wider, wider community if you've got people who are involved in raising your child. Take them along as well. It's important that we all understand as a community what's really going on in the school. 
and where that school is at with this policy. It might be that the school says, well, you know, we're not 100% with this policy anyway. And if the parents say no, that gives us the grounds to pull some of the stuff out. Yeah, because they're getting the pressure from the Ministry of Education to put it in. So if we can say, well, actually, we don't want it, it gives them the, the, the chance to, to say to the Ministry of Education, it's not going to it's not going to fly here. And that's and that's what we need to do. I mean, listen to this yeah. episode. We, we are what I, my intention with this is just to raise awareness for people that think that well, I've heard things overseas. I don't think it's happening here. Well, it is happening here. And what can you do about it? Because I think our kids will thank us later. Yeah, absolutely. And probably one more thing is I wouldn't maybe want to see too many people use the school counsellors if the school counsellors are in a position to take your child to, you know, gender clinics or abortion clinics during school time. If your child needs counselling, perhaps search for that counselling outside of the school and make sure that it's with a counsellor that you're happy with. Uh, someone that has your values at heart and respects your wishes. Um, you know, our kids need to know that that we love them unconditionally and that we're there for them. And there will be times where, you know, it, that's hard. It's hard having teenagers, let's be honest. But, you know, we need to embrace that that journey with its ups and downs and, and let the kids know that we've all been there. We've all had that time in our life where we weren't happy with ourselves and we wanted to change things, you know, Ride that journey with them, voice voice a bit of your life and a bit of your hurts and your past history and, and let your kids know that it's a time we, we all go through it and we come out the other end and life has ups and downs, but you got to have the downs so that the ups look magnificent, right? And, and I think it's, you know, embedding, we talk about resilience, but really embedding that, that self-love because that's where resilience comes from. It doesn't come from affirmations from other people as much as it comes from the inside of you because then when things go wrong, the affirmations die off quickly. You know, people want to feel that even when things are hard or somebody's hurt their feelings, they still know that they are loved and valued as a person on the inside and that there's always a safe place at home. Thank you so much, Natalie, for having me on the show. What an amazing way to wrap things up. I think that's so that's so beautiful and so, so true. Um, thank you so much. It's amazing to talk to you. Uh, is there anything else you want to just finish up with before we go? I think we've pretty much covered everything, but I just want to say thumbs up, parents, for getting through to the end of this episode. Um, it's pretty grueling, the information that we've put on here, and I just want to applaud you and a pat on the back. I know that times are tough right now and we fully understand that uh, with the cost of living crisis, you know, we, we're getting swamped with other other areas in our life which is stressful and then having teenagers on top of that can be a little bit, but take the time out. Fun can be free. You know, when I was a kid, we just rode our BMXs. My mum used to take us on picnics. You know, it didn't cost anything. We didn't have any money. We, we did Ealing. We flew kites. We just got out and did family stuff, you know, spend time with your kids now. It's precious. They leave home at 18. You know, my oldest has just gone to uni. You know, you don't get another chance to be a parent when your kids leave home. So make every little moment a treasured moment and, and be the best parent you can within your limitations. Accept that perfection is not achievable. Uh, and just remember, try and strive for everything to come from the heart and in love. Um, and genuine love and and don't we we have to be careful we don't hate on those who 
uh, we feel are taking our children away into another direction, they need love too because those people, that's the journey, that's why they're there is because their journey has in life has led them to make those decisions and they need to know that they're loved. You know, we can love the person without necessarily loving the direction that they're going um, and it's important that we, we try and remember that and we separate the what they're doing from the person that they they are or, or strive to be. Um, yeah, so I just I just hope that we can we can see some wins here in the schools and we can protect those kids from from what's coming through. Oh, so amazing. We'll end on that. Thank you so much, Elizabeth, for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks everyone for listening. Wow. Well, there you have it. That was uh, that was intense. And I know there was a lot for people to take in. Um, but I think it's important to be aware of what could possibly be taught or what content your kids or teens can easily come across on social media, TikTok, YouTube, etc. They can They can stumble upon this or they can search it out. So it's good to be aware. Now, Elizabeth talked about quite a range of things. Um, including Agenda 2030, the UN. You can look that up as well. Um, But I think that one of the overarching messages is to let our kids be kids. And some of the content, some of the concepts or the ideas are, you know, verging on this grooming or predatory behavior. We need to be aware of that. Um, Gender confusion, encouragement of body dysmorphia, et cetera. I think we really want to be aware of... they. Kids do need both sense of belonging and a sense of identity, like who am I? But we don't want to play with that and twist things and confuse. So we are obviously going to get, I imagine, quite a few um, messages from our audience on this. And we welcome those with open arms. You can text us 2057. You can email inbox at realitycheck.radio. You're listening to Up Your Brave on RCR. Reality Check Radio. Welcome back to the Up Your Brave show. This week, we are talking about keeping kids safe. In fact, it's actually part two. We did this last week as well. So if you missed that show, you can check it out on our replays, realitycheck.radio slash replays. And now I'm going to go to a little flashback from last week where I interviewed Lionel Anderson on the keeping kids safe topic. We're talking about the impact of cell phones on the psyche and mentoring our boys and raising good men. Enjoy this flashback. We've got three children and I think my daughter had one male teacher, but he left halfway through the year to go to a private school. And my son had one male teacher. Um, and my other son, I don't think has ever had a male teacher. So we, I, we were so excited when they got male teachers and they're hard to come by. You know, they're few and far between. I know the wages are pretty crappy um, and it would be a tricky environment, you know, being very much outnumbered. Um, what are some, I agree with you. I would love to see more male teachers and more of that influence. How do you think that would change things for the boys in the classes? Well, I think one of the most effective ways to influence uh, boys or certainly get them motivated is to actually show how things are done. I mean, you can tell them stuff, you can teach them stuff, but you actually got to do stuff. And for any parent who, who has had children, you've, you've actually got to do it with them. You can't just give them an exercise book and say, follow the instructions. You, you kind of have to do it, and you, you have to be able to do it. I think 
most boys will be inspired by men who actually do the stuff that they're talking about, that they're trying to teach, rather than giving them instructions or giving them a book to read or something. If you do it with them, you just get much better outcomes. Um, to be a good man, you just need to see good men. I guess that's the, the basic tenant is if you want to be something good, be around people who are good and you will soon model your behavior after someone who, if if there's a man who stays calm or who looks at a situation and, and looks for, a, say, a peaceful solution or a resolution of sort, and you see that all the time, you're more likely to follow that type of behavior. Right? So you just need to see good men doing good deeds, I guess. Um, so modeling for me is, I suppose, the best way, especially for kids who, who may already be averse to reading books or following certain processes that we have set up in our schools or just sick of school. Um, school is one thing, but watching good men do good things, do good things, that's that's beyond the, that's beyond the, the curriculum, I guess. Um, if you have strong male teachers who are doing what they do, they love what they do, they love teaching, they love kids, um, I think boys really respond well to that. Yeah. I think so too. And sometimes having a project, so if it's not a school situation, but I've got a friend of mine, I don't know if I told you about him, and he really wanted to, he loves cars. Uh, he's in real estate, so he's not, a, he's nothing to do with cars, but he loves cars. And he was saying to me, you know what I'd really love to do? Cause I said, you know, if you were to create courageously create what you wanted, what would that be? He said, Nat, if what, what I really love to do is to mentor young, like youth through cars, <laughs> you know, teaching them about like, we buy a car, you know, we all pitch in or whatever and we work on it and we tinker and we talk as we, you know, we're doing it. So the focus is on the car, but it's not about the car. And I remember saying to you, I think, you know, you could do something similar with music or or art. The I think, do you do sculpting as well? And I do, and that's what I've I did last year. Um, I did a whole lot of mentoring under the under the guise of an art project. Yeah. Um, and when I helped tutor Kapahaka, it's the same thing. It's the performing arts, but underneath all of the say instructions and so forth is literally mentoring. You're, you're literally mentoring the the kids. You're not actually teaching them anything. You're you're trying to get them excited about something they want to be good at, and it's and it has to be something totally subjective, which is why maths would be particularly hard uh, if you if you wanted to be a good maths teacher and model behaviour during a maths class would be almost impossible. Where in an art class, well, they could you could pander to them regardless of what they were creating, good, bad, ugly, indifferent, and so forth. It doesn't really matter. You can still encourage them. You can still support them. You can tell them sweet nothings and everything's going to be all right, that sort of thing. You can't really do that with your, with your conventional curriculum. Yeah. You have to use the arts, um, which is why I use music, uh, the fine arts, obviously, sculpture. If they can use their hands, uh, that's great. If they can do something physical, because that's just another way to use that other side of their brain, more, the more lateral side of their brain, 
So when they go to school, I think they they need to be, you know, academic of the year. And that's not true. They do need to use their brain, but they don't need to use it probably in the way they think they need to, which is why I use the arts primarily, because through the arts, I can do all the mentoring. I can literally lavish it upon them. And they're none the wiser. <laughs> So many good insights there from Lionel. Like I mentioned, you can listen to his full uh, replay of his full interview on our website. Now, I'm also going to take you now to a flashback from many weeks ago when we did the topic of empowered wellness. I will be doing the topic of holistic health coming up in future. But obviously, when we're talking about keeping kids safe, a lot of what comes to mind is everything we've navigated through in the past three years. And that encompasses emotional through to physical um, challenges on the body as well as on the relationships. So in a future episode, I'm going to go into looking at um, vaccines and kids and giving you some statistics. But for the moment, I would love to share with you just a little flashback clip from my interview with John Coombs. He is from Global Health Clinics, which is based in Takapuna. And interestingly, after I interviewed him, I booked in, I went in, I booked my son and myself in, and we had the hair analysis where they literally on the spot in like right there in the clinic, literally 10 minutes after they take a hair sample and they just grab a hair, for example, for me, cause I color my hair. So it's not naturally red. Uh, they grabbed a, a hair from the, just from the nape of my neck. For my son who has alopecia, which means um, unexplained baldness, so he's bald head to toe, uh, he's been taking protein powder lately. And the doTERRA protein powder that I sell, he's been taking that. He started to grow eyebrow hair for the first time in seven years. So for the first time in seven years, we were able to do a hair test. So they grabbed some of the eyebrow hair with some tweezers. Literally 10 minutes later, they had the results. Not only was I so impressed with how quickly uh, they had the results, but I really, really was impressed with the questionnaire that preceded that. And it was all about different emotions that you feel. And so it was physical and emotional. It was whole body wellness. And I'm a huge fan, if you haven't noticed already, on um, of <laughs> whole body wellness and a proactive approach to wellness. Uh, while we were there, we also got a live blood test, which means they literally take some blood and they look at it under the microscope and you can see it moving. That's that's the live part. And then when it dries, they look at it again on the slide and you sit there side by side with them. And I just loved that experience for myself and my son, but also the um, the insight that it was able to provide. And now I'm working on my thyroid and he's working on his adrenals and we're getting more healthy. And that's what it's all about. We want to empower kids to obviously be safe, but more than safe. We want to empower families to be healthy and happy and whole. And so enjoy this little clip where I'm talking to John Coombs um, about empowered wellness. Here it is. Well, ozone sometimes called the God molecule. If you think of the three most important things for life, light, which is photosynthesis, and light from the sun, and we life evolves around that. Electrons, which is electricity or energy, and uh, oxygen, which is the biggest part of water. Ozone is actually two of those joined together, which is electricity and oxygen, to make this unstable molecule called ozone, which is incredibly good at sucking up toxic waste from our body or nature. Um, it's incredibly good at killing pathogens. 
hundreds of times more effective than bleach or pesticides or chemotherapies. And when it breaks back down and because it's unstable, it releases light. So if you go back to those three main issues of light, electrons, and oxygen, ozone incorporates all of them. We have a number of different ways we help people with this. Because of some of the issues around medical regulatory issues, we're not doing the stuff we'd most want to do. We just play it a little bit safe. But we use ozone into skin or we use rectal ozone, which is going into the gut, which is like another lung. And that was incredibly good for feeding the microflora in your gut, the healthy flora, which relies on oxygen, and killing the unhealthy flora in your gut, which is um, these are cells or organisms that actually feed on fermenting sugar. They're called anaerobic pathogens. So all the pathogens in our body are anaerobic, and all the healthy cells are aerobic. So because oxygen's the most ozone is the most potent form of oxygen, by taking that into your body, as it breaks down into oxygen to feed our body and releases electrons, which feeds our nervous system and the electrical system in our body, and it releases light. And people probably don't know, but DNA absorbs light. So enlightenment, which we would call the highest level of evolution, is actually a physiological process, not just a spiritual related process so people who want to be enlightened have to be strong or their body won't be able to handle the amount of electricity involved in enlightenment so it keeps coming back to you know mind body soul and we want to activate the highest level of our soul which is expression through a personality as an enlightened being we've got to be robust we've got to be resilient we've got to be strong and we need enough oxygen in our body we need enough electricity to feed our nervous system and in both cases, that can come from ozone. Now, we all know we feel, on average, better if we go to the beach, we go to the mountains, we go to the forest. One of the main reasons for that, those are places high in ozone. Mm. So, again, ozone is just a combination of electricity and oxygen bonded together, which breaks down because it's naturally unstable and releases electricity, which is energy, and releases oxygen, which is another form of uh, energy. Okay, so someone could go get a treatment, but they could also go and spend more time, like you said, in nature um, to get some of that ozone. But for people who run down and time starts and whatnot, think something like an ozone sauna, which I've done hundreds of these over the years. I mean, they are just a very quick way in half an hour, seating yourself in a capsule, putting ozone in through your skin under heat getting some infrared treatment at the same time. and, and Okay, because I didn't realize it was a sauna, and I was going to ask you, you've just mentioned it, infrared sauna, I feel like they're kind of getting trendy at the moment. Um, is that the same thing as ozone therapy? No. Most infrared saunas are just infrared saunas. This is a very high-tech, like seriously high-tech piece oh, yeah. of equipment called a HOCAT, which incorporates infrared steam sauna, but it also incorporates ozone, special light, uh, frequencies and microcurrents that were developed by a guy called Royal Rife or Rife Therapy. So in this particular case, we've got about 120 different Rife frequencies that we can help to stimulate people, whether it be their adrenal glands, their hormones, uh, malabsorption of foods, killing pathogens. So Rife, Rife or microcurrent therapy is just a, a form of energy medicine or frequency medicine where people have figured out the healthy frequencies for life, mm. and those, on average, will be unhealthy for pathogens. 
Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to Natalie Cutler-Welsh on the Up Your Brave show. We are nearing the end of our show, but I wanted to do a shout out to all the incredible guests that I've had over the many months that we've been going now. And by the way, the listenership is growing by the day. So if you've been loving our show, please go ahead and send the link uh, which is realitycheck.radio, to any of your friends. You can obviously post it on social media as well. You can send it to your friends on Telegram, but spread the word. We are aiming to empower and uplift and also enlighten people as to um, all the things that are going that's going on so that we can be empowered in our lives. And uh, so shout out to all my previous guests and also shout out to all my future guests. I've got an amazing um, array of people lined up, as always, more than open to your requests and suggestions. One request I have is, where are the men? If you listen to my show, you're probably like, why is she always interviewing women? Well, number one, I do know a ton of incredible women, so that's not a problem. But what I'm wondering is, where are the men? I would love to hear from some more incredible men who have wisdom to share with the world, uh, get in touch with me. And we can go from there. Let me know your area of expertise or a specific message that you have for the world. Uh, but coming up, I'm going to share a little sneak peek now from a future episode. It's either going to come out possibly next week or the week after. We'll see how we roll. This is where I'm talking to Sally Maybell. Sally Maybell. And we are talking about the voice of leadership. And specifically, we talk a lot about how can people be more confident how can people be more present? Because a big part of, I think, keeping our kids safe is to help them to be present, especially in this day and age of distraction with social media. This is, again, something we spoke about last week on our Keeping Kids Safe um, and the importance of being grounded and, and be spending time in nature. So here's a little clip. You can get a little taste of my interview with Sally. You can listen out for it in the future. Here it is, Sally Mabel. I have noticed that most Kiwis were afraid to speak up, but this situation has fueled the passion and the anger, the righteous anger, the good anger, the anger that is fuel for truth and for righteousness. And the folks who've been suppressed, it, it, um, it brought out that, you know, darn it, I'm not going to be suppressed. I've got to speak. I can't hold back anymore. There's no time. This is an urgent situation, you know, so it, it did bring up that urgency. And different issues brought it up for different people. You know, some people sat silent while their family members like me were sitting outside the restaurant because <laughs> they couldn't get in. Some people that didn't bother them. But, you know, maybe when they bring in certain taxes uh, for under, under the climate change thing, or maybe when they hear like a few weeks ago when we did my show, Keeping Kids Safe. And suddenly people hear what they're actually teaching your children in school. Okay, that will force some people who until now have kept quiet to actually rise up or to start to question things um, outside of their own mind. So that's, I think, different things for different people. That's right. And that and that fierce, I like to call it sort of the fierce mother lion that says, you're not touching my babies, you know. You know, that fierceness rises up when it's challenged. Mm. Definitely. Definitely. And that was me for sure. When they started talking about the teenagers and the kids, I could not mm. hold that. Mm. Um, and I know just before I move on, I know you also have worked a lot with, I think, executives and people in the and different, you know, the health industry and IT and banking and things. Um, do you think the vocal leadership work that you do, I imagine that is for 
everybody, what do you think is the thing that holds people back the most from truly being able to express their true voice or the true message? Well, there's a number of things. Um, One of them, the big one, which you've probably, I haven't listened to all your shows, but I imagine you've touched on this. Uh, The big one is the voice of shame. And the voice of shame says two things, either you're not good enough or who do you think you are, bossy britches? Who do you think you think you're so cool? So one is trying to put down the confident, quote, arrogant person. And the one is trying to keep down the one that's not good enough. Don't dare raise your head. Right. So and then the other thing is, is people to the way that they separate themselves from others can be either, you know, I'm a little bit too good for this person. I know a little bit more. Um, I really don't have time of day to talk to this person. That is what I would call arrogance. And then the shame is, oh my gosh, you know, Natalie, she's so amazing. And how dare she talk to me? You know, like um, shame where I put you way above me. And the, the voice of leadership I say is where I'm speaking to you as a fellow human being. You know, you're not the be brave coach and I'm not the voice of leadership specialist. You are a human being full of light as I am. And if I talk to everybody like that, there's no uh, one-upmanship and there's also no shame. So I, I aim to talk to everyone as if they're my brother and sister and they're just another being and no labels. And that helps you speak with your voice of leadership when you can just connect with folks like that. It's so common. It's a human tendency to go, oh my gosh, I'm talking to the King of England. Or, oh my gosh, it's the president. You know, that kind of thing. And to kind of put people on pedestals or to go, oh, I can't believe I'm talking to this low life, right? Um, it is a natural for us to compare ourselves in our minds. And we to need to be just aware of that voice of judgment and put it to bay when we're speaking and we want to have an impact with someone. I love that so much. So it's, uh, yeah, right. The pedestal and then that kind of almost overqualified, like these people, I know so much more. I, I did an event a few weeks ago. And one of the things I said to the, to the audience, and, and it was an audience of just 20 people. I said, literally any one of you could be up here where I'm standing now. And because everyone in this room has amazing wisdom to share. And by the way, I don't really do hierarchy. Like I don't do like, you're my client and I'm your coach. And, you know, so I I completely agree with you. I think we are people and everyone has wisdom to share with the world. Like I literally think to everyone listening right now, any one of you could be sitting across from me or or on Zoom, wherever you live, sharing your wisdom, your reflections. When I say, how have the last three years been for you? You could, you've got a story to share. So I think, you know, I really love that you and I have that same philosophy. Everyone has so much wisdom and everyone has a voice. They're just not using it. How can we help Mm -hmm. them to use it? How Mm -hmm. can we help them to speak with more confidence and something else you talk about more presence? Some great tips there from Sally. And you're going to hear more in the coming weeks. That pretty much wraps up our show. So I'm hoping that from this show, which is all about keeping kids safe, you are going to go away feeling empowered and inspired, a little bit more aware, possibly a little bit surprised or scared at some of the things that they may or maybe not be teaching your kids at school in the classes, but also is specifically in the social studies or the sex ed class. And I would invite you to find out 
Um, you don't need to let us know, but if you feel called, you're more than welcome to reach out to us and let us know what you discovered about what your kids are being taught in schools around gender ideology, relationships, body, self-acceptance, um, because there's so many great things, I feel, that our kids could be taught and could be empowered with around understanding who they are and feeling a sense of belonging. But there's also a lot of... Uh, it's a windy road and there's some potential tangents. So find out who's coming into your school, what they're teaching. And also that message around spending connected time with your child, listening to them, letting them know that you are that stable, consistent adult in their life and being there for them. We would love to hear some stories from you. Also the bucket list, uh, feel free to write in. I know that I always get my guests to share one thing on their bucket list, but I'm curious to know what is one thing on yours? I actually have a future guest coming up and his entire specialty, he's called the bucket list guy. He's based in Australia and we're going to be talking all about bucket lists. So in the lead up to that, have a little think about one thing that you would love to do, be, or experience in your lifetime. That's basically what a bucket list is. Write it down. If you feel called, definitely send it in. You can text us on 2057. Have an amazing day. Have an amazing weekend. Uh, spending quality time with your kids. I'll let you know what I'm doing this weekend. Uh, my husband, Matt, and I are, have signed up for the weekend to remember, um, which I interviewed Vainand quite a few weeks back around empowered relationships as our topic. And he mentioned this weekend to remember retreat which by the way, is not like a small retreat with six couples. There are 65 couples going to this retreat. So it's more of a conference vibe. It's here in Waipuna in Auckland where we live. So it's literally, we live in Meadowbank. So it's literally 15 minute drive from our house. Um, but that's pretty cool. So we're going to be going to that. We're going to be carving out time, dedicated time to work on our relationship because for many of you, I'm sure you can relate. It's been a challenging journey the last wee while, specifically the last three years. And I'm excited to just basically take some time to really dedicate and focus and pour into being present to looking at how I've behaved, responded, reacted over the last few years and how I can be a better person. I'm always open to that self-discovery and also understanding my partner better because we do have different views on many, many, many things. So I'm just excited to see uh, what's what the weekend will bring. If you think that sounds good to you, uh, I think the next one is actually, don't quote me, but I think it's in September and I'm pretty sure it's in Tauranga. So that would be a nice destination. So you guys can check that out. Um, I will just message me and I'll send you the link. Uh, but if you type in weekend to remember uh, relationship marriage weekend, it'll come up, I'm sure, in the, in the, uh, in the search. It's been amazing to spend time with you. Uh, remember to question things, find out, be empowered. Don't just allow teachers and third-party organizations to come in and teach your kids whatever. It is our responsibility and our opportunity to keep our kids not only safe, but empowered and happy and healthy as well. Have an amazing weekend. Until next time, I am your host, Natalie Cutler-Welsh, and you've been listening to The Up Your Brave Show on Reality Check Radio. You've been listening to Up Your Brave with Natalie Cutler-Welsh on RCR, Reality Check Radio.